Blog Talk Radio. Southern Sports Central, your source for all things sports, with your host, Richie Altman, Richie Altman. and Eugene Benton taking your call at 323-784-9681. Now, let's join Richie in the studio. back up and running on Southern Sports Central. Of course, the flagship show here on the Southern Sports Central Radio Network. I'm Richie Altman. Eugene may drop in and out throughout the night, but he's got a few things happening tonight, so he's not going to be able to hang out with us for the entire night, or maybe none tonight. We'll wait. We'll see. And if an audible gets called, we'll bring the special teams guy over, and we'll do some things with uh, Eugene here tonight. But don't worry. Oh, don't worry. First of all, how's everybody doing? Glad to be back. Glad to be back in the studio Glad to be back on the radio. Man, it's been forever. Uh, I think the last show we did, all right, I think the last show we did, I was in Charlotte. Eugene was down here in Charleston. And, uh, well, we had that big-time kicker commit to NC State, doing great things, by the way. Uh, And, again, uh, what an opportunity it was to be a part of that young man, uh, to uh, mention that he was taking his talent to the next level, but he's doing it in Power 5 football. He's going to become a Wolfpack. And I know oh so well about Raleigh, North Carolina. That was a place that I was uh, a soft commit back in 1996 uh, before I took my journey elsewhere. But, uh, man, it was an awesome opportunity to be a part of that with his family listening in. And, of course, you know, uh, I wish him nothing but the, but the best. And as you guys may or may not have uh, kept up with us over there, Eugene and myself coached over at Oceanside this past year. And uh, for me, you know, it, it was a little different, right? So let's catch up with what I've been doing. I was down on the sideline. That's a scary thought. But uh, I did have a headset on. But it wasn't connected to the radio nor TV. It was connected to the other coaches. 
but it was just defensive guys. So we're a little more aggressive, right? Uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of opportunity because I got to work one-on-one with Casey Crosby, former Gamecock, a uh, guy who did great things as a Gamecock, did great things in high school. Now he's an incredible coach in high school football, did a great job with JV football where they lost only one game. And they got beat, you know, by uh, not many, but they got beat by, as they would be freshmen and sophomores, they got beat by another school that brought all their juniors in. That doesn't seem fair, but you know what? You win, you lose, you learn. And I think Casey would tell you they learned a lot that night. Everything other than that, man, they went to Myrtle Beach and beat uh, the Seahawks on their own field up on uh, the Grand Strand. They beat a ton of teams down here in Charleston. Uh, They were affected a little bit by that word that we don't use on here, I believe. But that being said, what a great, great season it was uh, for the JV squad at Oceanside. And, again, like I mentioned, I was with the varsity uh, as well uh, as a player development character coach and then got to work with the linebackers. Uh, and, and we'll get more into that as uh, the next few weeks because we are back, by the way. Once a week, we're going to bring a show to you. Uh, we, of course, um, have missed you guys. I've missed you guys. This is something that I've uh, built and, and I've seen. Of course, Brandon Bisco being doing uh, his show on Friday morning, still keeping this thing up and running. But now he's got us back up here and doing some things. Eugene will join us uh, hopefully on the next show uh, a little bit more on the regular side. We'll see. Uh, but, again, uh, so much to cover tonight, and we'll get into our guest list, by the way. Very attractive and very familiar, by the way, as we're going to have a lot of our closest friends join us tonight to kick us back up and running as we are in the final week of high school football in the season, right? And why I say that is because two of our guests tonight represent some bowl games, big-time bowl games, right? One of those is the North-South Bowl. Scott Early is going to join us at 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, excuse me, Scott Early is going to join us at 8 o'clock tonight. So Scott joins us at 8 o'clock because he's got um, the North-South game running as normal uh, up on the Grand Strand of Myrtle Beach. That's going to be uh, the upper state versus the lower state high school football. Uh, they'll spend the week up in Myrtle Beach. It's going to be an incredible experience for those seniors that were selected and took that opportunity uh, to face one another. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Coach Early about that. And then at 9 o'clock, we're going to head to a new bowl who may or may not take the place. And, again, uh, we may or may not ask that question of the famous Shrine Bowl because now it's called the Carolina Bowl, and it's ran by different folks with different strokes, and they're going to be doing it big in the upstate up there. But that is a North Carolina versus South Carolina Senior Bowl. So, again, these kids are getting opportunities, getting chances to play. Uh, they're still going to be our, our buddies over at the Blitz. Uh, Ken and his guys and girls are going to be doing their thing this year. The Junior Bowl is going to be taking place. The Senior Bowl is going back to the upstate, I believe, actually, uh, up there in uh, near the Greenville area. So there is a ton of football still left. Guy asked me today, he said, Rich, man, what are you going to do? There's no football. I said, oh, brother, do you not understand? There's a lot of football, and I'm going to be around to cover it as I'll head up to Myrtle Beach for the north-south game. We've already gotten our clearance there. We'll be over there at the, of course, uh, the Carolina Bowl. Uh, Coach Stephen Pratt's coaching that game for the inauguration. That's going to be big. And then I know Art Craig's coaching uh, the lower state and the south side of the uh, of the of the, of the north south game, and then uh, Ian Rafferty's coaching. I know uh, in the Blitz Bowl, the Junior Bowl. Again, there's a ton of information. We got to get it all out to you. Uh, but there's still a ton of football left. But don't get there yet because this we got high school state championships being crowned at Benedict College. Starts on Friday, ends on Saturday. I'm excited for Benedict to get this opportunity to host the state championship game. I worry about the driving as far as the traffic getting in and out of there. Uh, I'm sure they'll do a great job. I am excited to see uh, Benedict getting to see 
uh, this opportunity come to tuition. However, there is a lot of excitement over at South Carolina with that big, massive stadium. And uh, it is a change, and, and, and things happen. I get it. But uh, it, it will, of course, uh, the show will continue to move on. Uh, we'll get into that tonight because at 830, another guy is going to join us, and that is a familiar face from the state of South Carolina, the guru of Friday night uh, football. And that is, of course, uh, David Shelton joins us as uh, he does a ton of stuff around the state of South Carolina. But he'll talk to us about not only the season that was, because there was some great football. Let's be honest. A lot of great football happening around the state. But now that word that we get ready to use is coaching carousel, or you can call it musical chairs, whatever you want to call it. It's happening around the state of South Carolina already, and it's already happened here in our state or in, our, in the low country. Uh, Oceanside's Joe Call steps down and retires from high school football, not going to another school, not doing this, doing that. No, retiring from high school football and coaching. And, um, you know, I've had a chance to, to be around that guy for a long time. We spent a lot of talks and walks over at Somerville. Uh, last year I did not. I was over at Fort, but I, I got that call to come over to Oceanside this year, and uh, it means more to me now than it did then that I know I had a chance to spend his final season with him down on the sideline. Then, of course, uh, a guy that's done some great stuff over at Stahl in Steptown. Uh, you know, uh, Coach, uh, you know, he has done an incredible job over there, but talking to him off the record and talking to him on the phone, uh, you know, he said, look, I just, uh, Coach Benson just said, I want to step down and give somebody else a shot at it. Uh, maybe there's something that they can do to take it to that next step. I, I don't know. But uh, we'll talk to David Shelton about all the openings that are up. We'll talk to him about the entire season. We'll talk to him about the final uh, teams that are left in this thing. There's only, what, uh, 10 teams left, right? So we'll find out who is the elite, who he thinks is going to win. And maybe at the end, we'll, um, we'll give a pick of our own. It's going to be hard, though. It's going to be hard because I tell you what, there are a ton of teams in this thing that I think, honestly – should make these all instant classics on the uh, on that Friday night and Thursday Saturday afternoon opportunities. We'll see. We'll wait. We'll, we'll see how it works out. Before we get to the high school stuff, you know what's coming. You know we got to talk college, even though the season's up, even though we're looking at championships and all the conferences this weekend, Alabama, Georgia, a few other teams around the country. The ACC is going to be up for grabs. Can Wake Forest figure it out? Can they – snatch it and take care of business is there other you know conferences doing what they need to do of course michigan how about that finally harbaugh gets that big win last weekend in the snow in his backyard and uh we'll, we'll get in to that one-on-one with a guy who we enjoy all so much will join us here in just a few minutes is reginald walker jr former penn state alumni baller himself out of the big 10 so we'll talk to him about the big 10 we'll talk to him about who he thinks is going to be the elite going into this Final Four selection. And you know what? There is that other uh, side of conversation of the coaching carousel. That's happening as well over in uh, college because you saw Notre Dame's coach decided he would just send a text out. He's now hanging out at LSU. Oklahoma, he's gone. He's hanging out in Southern Cal with a jet and a few other great things that he might not have had, of course, at Oklahoma. And then there's, of course, Florida. It was open for a little while. There's some other spots that are starting to land some things. We'll get his thoughts and opinions. Uh, on that. Now, Clemson fans, are you worried? If Brent Venables leaves the Tigers and goes back home to Oklahoma, that worry you guys uh, overall. And you're going to tell me no. I'm sure you will. Why wouldn't you? But my question is, man, this is a guy who brings the electricity on the defense. But I can promise you he's got the love of the kids on the offense, special teams on the campus. All right. So uh, that's just part of the game. Uh, you know, I know that they're all out right now on the recruiting trail. Low country has seen 
Alabama. They've seen Liberty. They've seen Clemson. They've seen South Carolina. I mean, there have been uh, North Greenville has been in town today, I believe. Uh, so there is a ton of coaches out and about around the low country just kind of hanging out and seeing what's going on and what they can do to pick it up and, and see what they can do. But, of course, um, because we are located here in the state of South Carolina, I'm going to say this. Clemson, what a rebound for you guys this year. Uh, there were some concerns. You didn't have the season you wanted, but you rebound and you finished. You found a way to beat the Gamecocks at the end of the season. And I know that is just one of your many marks that you try to hit every year. But Gamecocks, nothing to hang your head down. I mean, you have a coach in there who I believe is, is going to get this program back to where it needs to be. Coach Beamer has been here before at South Carolina. He knows what the pedigree of these young athletes are all about. And he took this team to a six-win season, which most people had him at three or four wins, right? And in two seasons before him, it took him that just to win six. So he's bowl eligible in the first year. So he'll go bowling along with 13 other teams in the SEC and some other teams around the country that are going to be doing it. And for some people, that, well, if it's not a top two or three, four bowl, what's the point? Well, because there's practice, practice, and more practice, right? It's not just the bowl game, right? You have to get to that point. And, and I think that's some of the things that we – constantly overlook on some of that. So that's just kind of a, uh, a look over the menu here tonight. You can join us live here on the air. We'll be live between now and 10 o'clock tonight. You can call in at 1-323-784-9684. Again, the number to call in is 1-323-784-9684. You can find us on Twitter at SO Sports Central. And, of course, you can hang out with us over there on Facebook at Southern Sports Central. Guys, let's take a quick break. Come back and hopefully catch in with the man, the myth, the legend. He's at an airport, maybe your airport. I don't know, but I know Reginald Walker Jr. is joining us next right after this break. Guys, don't go anywhere. Coming off wet. 
And now, back to Southern Sports Central with Richie Altman and Eugene Benton taking your calls at 323-784-9681. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Welcome back home. The one, the only, Mr. Reginald Walker, Jr. What's going on, big man? What's up, fellas? I hope all is well. I'm, I'm trying to uh, get back to the lovely weather of the Carolinas. Right now in New York, uh, and uh, trying to just navigate my way to, to, to get on back. But uh, got a little delayed getting over here um, to get to this flight. But I stopped for y'all because the people uh, are people that I like to uh, – Make sure I show up when I tell them I'm going to show up. Amen to that, brother. You always, and I mean the word always, do what yeah, you, you can to be a part of what we do. That's why I told him earlier. I said, man, he's at an airport, maybe your airport, but I know he's going to be on the show with us here in just a little bit, man. So it means a lot. I appreciate you taking time out. But uh, first of all, man, how was Thanksgiving, man? It's been a, so too long since we've caught up, man. Family's good. Thanksgiving good. Everything's up and running. Thanksgiving was good. Spending with family, it was uh the first week in uh, about, I think it was probably about six straight weeks, and you got to forgive the noise. I'm standing outside. Haven't even uh, gone through security yet, so cars going past me and everything. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, nah, Thanksgiving was great. Spent it with family. Uh, was able to enjoy that. It was the first time in about six weeks that I hadn't been on the road, and, and, and now I'm back on the road up here in New York right now, uh, like I said, trying to get back to the Carolinas. But life is good. Uh, traveling safely. Um, the mask life in the airports and on planes is interesting, but uh, we're navigating it, so that's all that matters. Hanging out with Reginald Walker Jr. Spent a lot of time with the Nittany Lions. He's a former Penn State guy. He's also a big-time guy in Charlotte on many networks. Of course, here tonight he's part of our family 24-7, but he's hanging out with us tonight on Southern Sports Central. Before we talk about the championship weekend coming up in college football, uh, man, I tell you what, if you're Jim Harbaugh and, and you're a Big Ten guy yourself, uh, how excited is this guy to finally get that monkey off his back, to finally be able to go in the house and say, I can beat the Ohio State Buckeyes, man. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts in the Big Ten this year. I think what makes it even more satisfying for Jim Harbaugh is, right, he, he's a, he's an old disciple. He's a disciple of the old guard, right, the, the, the Bo Schembechlers of the world, uh, who he played for. And one of the things that Bo used to ask him is, are you going to have a fullback, and are you going to have a tight end? And Jim always said, yeah, that's how we're going to play. Well, guess what? He didn't have to spread it out and throw it 35, 45, 50 times. He was able to run the football with a fullback and have a tight end in the game and run right at the Buckeyes and get the win over his rival. So to be able to win against your rival with your identity with so much on the line, that takes it to the next level for, for a guy like Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, and I agree. Everything that you just said out, I would echo that, you know, because he is part of that old school mentality. He is that guy who brings, you know, he believes what he learned, right? And he kind of you know, tried to do what he can to try to put that into some of these young kids. And not everybody's good at doing that, but I think Harbaugh has that ability, and it's taken him a little while longer than he thought. But here he is now looking at Iowa, right, and a, a number 13 team, Iowa, and the big team championship game. That's going to be, what, on Saturday night on Fox, I believe, Michigan might be favored in this one, but don't let that 
fool you because Iowa, a very scrappy team and a very good team that's going to give them all they can handle on Saturday night. This game is going to be played in the phone with two football teams that are going to come straight ahead, run the football downhill, smash each other in the mouth. It's a perfect recipe, old-school Big Ten, 17-13 kind of game. I think Michigan comes out on top, but uh, I'll tell the people this. One thing you better not do is think this game is going to be four hours long like your typical college football game. You better mark this one down for about 245 or less because it's going to go quick because both teams like to run the ball. Yeah, it's going to go quick. Now, how about this game? Let's go over to the ACC. Now, Clemson is a team we're used to talking about in this one in North Carolina and whoever else. It's always Clemson. Now, Clemson didn't have the season that they wanted, but they got a pretty solid end. They beat the Gamecocks and not letting them in the end zone in their own backyard. I know that was a big deal for them. But they're not represented this weekend coming up in the ACC championship game that also will be an 8 o'clock game on ABC where it is Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, two teams that we don't usually hear about. This is a basketball matchup usually, but on Saturday night, you're going to get to see, uh, you know, Big Sam over at Wake Forest who actually went to a school down here in his senior year at Oceanside stand up and, and try to re- represent Wake Forest in style. But does Pittsburgh have enough to take them out and, and lead to, them to an ACC championship game? Let me make a comment about Clemson first, okay, because everybody's, quote, disappointed in, in Clemson land. They're mad. They're frustrated with Dabo. He couldn't get it figured out. What's wrong with the tight? If they win the bowl game, they're going to be 10-3. and three. They're going to have a 10-win season. A 10-win season. In a down year? Come on, man. There's, there's programs that wish they had one 10-win season in 30 years. Okay, so it ain't that bad in Clemson land. And, and as it relates to, to – to Pitt and, and Wake Forest. I think it's going to come down to, uh, obviously, can Wake Forest get consecutive stops on defense? We know what they can do on offense. They've got a lot of ability, and, and, and Narduzzi for Pitt is known uh, for what he can dial up defensively. And so you suspect that Wake is going to score some points, but there will be some possessions where they don't put points up because of the ability of Narduzzi to dial some things up. So you got to ask yourself, how many times can Wake get a stop on the flip side that's going to decide the football game. I like both quarterbacks. Hartman and Pickett are playing some of their best football, obviously, that we've ever seen. Uh, Pickett probably has a Heisman uh, vote on the line or two. Uh, I'm sure he's looking to get uh, – I think he's definitely going to be in New York. Whether or not he wins the thing is a whole other conversation. But uh, a big performance on Saturday night can really help him with that. So the question is, can Kenny Pickett come up in the big spot and get his team over the hump against that Pat Narduzzi coach defense – and then on the flip side, how many stops can Wake get uh, on defense? And, and, and that's going to be the key. Uh, I, sh- I should say Kenny Pickett against Wake Forest defense. But then on the flip side, Riley Hartman, can he make enough plays against Pat Narduzzi's defense? Could be an interesting one. You want to stick with the point conversation? That means we're heading to the Big 12 doing big things, and it's not Oklahoma, it's not Texas, it's Oklahoma State. And he's a man, he's over Folks. 40. Heck, he's almost 50 now, right? So Oklahoma State taking on Baylor. Uh, what do you like in this one in a shootout, I believe, right? I mean, we're going to see a lot of offense and not as much defense. I like the fact that Oklahoma State finally has a defense. That's something we haven't been able to say ever in, in the Mike Gundy era. They actually have a defense. Those guys are playing well. They create a lot of turnovers. They fly to the football. I think the thing that's interesting to watch about this game, I think Oklahoma State wins the game against Baylor. I really do. But I think the interesting thing to watch is if they win big against Baylor and Cincinnati – wins eh, decently um, against Houston. The Oklahoma State Conference Championship game win 
It's going to look better. It's over another top ten team. They will probably leapfrog Cincinnati and knock the Bearcats out of the playoff. We'll stay on that side of the world. We'll, leave, we'll, we'll move a little closer to the western side, and that is Oregon-Utah. Now, again, we will get into some of the coaching hires, and it's breaking loose as we, as we sit here because Eugene's sending me Notre Dame's just hired a guy, Virginia Tech just hired a guy. So we'll talk about the coaching carousel before I get you out of here, big man. But first, let's talk Oregon. Let's talk Utah. This is a big game for both programs. Very big for that they are officially back after kind of a quiet last two or three years, 10-2, and two, what it would mean for them to go 11-2. and two. And then, of course, Utah, man, for these guys to knock out an Oregon team. This one could be a big one, and it's a Friday night matchup, an 8 o'clock primetime game. Yeah, Oregon's got to find a way to make plays. I mean, it's that simple. They, they've been up and down this year in certain spots. The quarterback position, Brown, uh, he's been inconsistent at best. He's got to play his best game. On the flip side, you look at it from Kyle Whittingham's group, if you look at historically what he's done at Utah, they've generally been really, really good, especially at the beginning of seasons, and they've faded. And one of the things I've talked about with that program is maybe Kyle, because he believes in physicality and certain things in that regard, maybe he wears those guys out by the end of the year and they get beat up. Well, it seems like they're going in the other direction this year. They're starting to peak here at the end of the season. Can Kyle Whittingham finish a season with his team playing its best football, not a group that's worn down? If that ends up being the case, I think Utah finds a way to beat uh, uh, Oregon once again, and, and they take home the Pac-12 crown. Now, we catch a red eye. We're heading back to the southeast, and that is the Ken Georgia. Ken Georgia finally get over that hurdle, beat that big dog, or at least the big elephant in the room, which is Alabama. Now, Alabama didn't look great against an Auburn team who – We'll talk about South Carolina beating them just the week before, so we're not sure what happened there. But what we do know is that Nick Saban's one of the best in the business at regrouping his guys, and he'll do that. But is it going to be enough at 4 o'clock come Saturday afternoon on that primetime CBS game? Georgia, hot as any other team in the country at 12-0, and but this seems to be the game that they seem to stumble a little bit. Reginald, I know we're all looking at this one thinking if Georgia does what they need to do, it's going to be a long day for Alabama. Yeah, Georgia hasn't been tested in a long time. And I think Alabama is going to test them at least athletically. I think Alabama's got enough to beat Georgia. The question is, can they create some plays? The key to this game to me is can Alabama start fast? I know Nick Saban believes in defense and all those things. I'm willing to bet if they win the toss, Nick Saban may try to put his offense on the field first and see if they can get ahead of Georgia. And then they're going to try to turn around and look at Stetson Bennett, stare him in his eyes and say, can you make enough plays to bring your team back from behind to beat us? Alabama wants to play ahead of Georgia so that that running game can't get going and they force Stetson Bennett to be the guy that beats them. If that's the case, Georgia may have to make some decisions. Stetson Bennett has taken care of the ball, but he can't push the ball down the field as well as JT Daniels, and that impacts this offense. So that's going to be a key to watch to me. I think that there's a chance, more than just a chance, uh, I'm willing to say I, I think Bama is going to find a way they play poorly, like you mentioned, against Auburn. Nick Saban will chastise them and question their ability and challenge them throughout the week, and that's going to lead to them to have an inspired performance. I think they find a way to beat Georgia, and the SEC once again gets two teams in the college football playoff. Look at there, already speaking like a man on a mission. That is the one and only Reginald Walker Jr. joins us all the time and he's glad to hear with us tonight he's up in nyc at the airport at new york coming to you live so we're 
pitching it from the top of the country down here to the to the bottom from Charleston to New York. But let's stay with some more college football. And let's look. It don't even have to go too far. And this may not be a big conference to some, but the American Athletic Conference has a number four Cincinnati team, undefeated, by the way, taking on a Houston team with only one loss and not a lot of respect sitting at 21. Does Houston have a problem or does Houston handle business, take down Cincinnati, or is it just partying in Cincinnati at the end of this one? And, again, this is a 4 o'clock kickoff on ABC on Saturday. No, I think Cincinnati wins this game. I don't think this is even a conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm getting real short and sweet with the answer on this one. I think Cincinnati's too fast and too physical on defense. Desmond Ritter's too much of a playmaker at the quarterback position on offense. They're going to be able to run it and throw it at will against Houston, who's not great defensively. And, and on the flip side, I don't think Houston's going to be able to score any points. I think this is going to be a one-sided affair. Houston will score some points late, but it'll be well out of hand for Cincinnati early. All right, so we want to take a little bit of time for these other two conferences that are playing on championship weekend here. Utah State, San Diego State. Now, Utah State 9-3, and 11-1, 19th in the country. San Diego State coming out of the Mountain West championship game. Who do you like in this one? Does the Utah State guys have enough, or does San Diego State continue rolling with that 11-1 record? All Aztecs all day. Saw them play three times this year. Uh, they are loaded offensively, defensively. They got speed. They got playmakers. On both sides of the ball, they hit you violently uh, when they arrive to the football on defense. I like the Aztecs easy. All right, the final one is in the Fun Belt, also known as the Sun Belt. App State, they're back. They're back at least at 10-2. and two, They're hanging out in the championship game against the Raging Cajuns. Am I right? Is that Louisiana Tech uh, sitting in there yes, at 11-1? Louisiana. 24 in the Lafayette. country. What do you, th- what do you yeah. think about this matchup? This seems to be probably one of our better matchups. Uh, on, on the weekend because I think these two teams size up pretty good. They do. The problem is Billy Napier's in Gainesville. Mentally, in all other aspects, he may not be there physically, but that man's in Gainesville. And so the reality of the situation is the Mountaineers, I think, go down there. They got, they got Chase Bryce at the quarterback position, a veteran who can pitch it around. He's got plenty of receivers. Those running backs run the ball very, very well. I expect App State to be able to get a win down there. Now, you segued me right, brother. We've been doing this a long time because you know exactly how to lead us to the next conversation, and that is musical chairs and college football coaches. As you've seen, <laughs> all right, Oklahoma is no more Oklahoma because that dude is doing some big things in, uh, well, USC. Notre Dame, that guy sends a text message to everybody, basically disrespects his coaches while they're on the recruiting trail. You saw what that one coach said. I was literally – talking to a kid, and he showed it to me on social media. And that, of course, coaches now at LSU. And now I'm getting words, and thanks to Eugene, who's hanging out kind of in the background here doing some other stuff. But he just sent me this. He said that Freeman is now hired at Notre Dame. He is the D.C. backup guy at Notre Dame. So now he'll be the main man, it looks like. And then Virginia Tech just hired Penn State. How about your guy sitting there now as the head coach of Virginia Tech? Uh, the only question I have in this, and, and you got to excuse my language for saying this, what the hell took Notre Dame so long to make Marcus Freeman the guy? That, that should have been right? that should have taken them two and a half seconds. Uh, Jack Swarbrick wasted a whole bunch of people's time to make them think that there was a real true national search. There was no need to do a national search. Freeman's been the guy that we know should take over that program for a long time. They finally made it official, seemingly, so that's a good thing. I, I like that. Brent Pry, I think he's going to do a great job at Virginia Tech. A couple of things about him. Yeah, he may have been born in Altoona, and people look at him as a Pennsylvania guy. He went to Lexington High School in southwest Virginia. He's basically going back home. He knows the area of Virginia. He's going to do an excellent job. I think the Hokies are back 
to their winning ways in, in short order, and I think they'll consistently win under Brent Pry. Uh, so I like that hire. I like the Freeman hire at Notre Dame as well. There's been some really good hires in this cycle. The question is, you know, what's the trickle-down effect of some of these moves? Who's going to end up where? That's going to be the interesting thing to watch as assistant coaches start figuring out where they want to end up with guys like Brian Kelly moving around. Uh, obviously, Lincoln Riley took much of his staff to USC, but you still got to keep some guys that are local to those schools that have been on those staffs that really know those areas to help you make inroads. So it'll be interesting to see who ends up where, uh, you know, going down the stretch of this thing as we get it through uh, the early signing period here in a few days and then obviously going towards signing day in February. Uh, that's going to be interesting to watch. Hanging out with the one and only Reginald Walker Jr. We're wrapping it up with him because he's about to walk that walk and uh, jump on an airplane and head back down to Charlotte, North Carolina, of course, where you do a ton of stuff, man, covering a couple of different teams down there uh, this year, man. What, what was it like this year for you? Again, you know, we don't like to use the word COVID, but there was still a, a few restrictions in certain areas, and you still saw a little bit, not as much in the college as we saw in high school, but North Carolina seems to be on a different page than even South Carolina, man. What was it like in Charlotte? this football season. Did you see it kind of opening back up a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty open, and just like this this airport is in general, fairly open, right? You're masked up, but you make it work. Um, and so that's been interesting to watch. But, yeah, I, it was a great season. It was busy, right, between traveling with Gardner-Webb and then traveling for my full-time job. Um, as I'm sitting here, I just got to notice that they're getting ready to board in about 10 minutes, so I'm going to have to still get through security. Um, and let me, So we'll wrap it up here shortly. But the, the reality of the situation is – with, with college football, trying to move around with Gardner-Webb was fairly easy, right? You go into some different places, and the hardest part was finding out, right, what are the protocols for that week. And sometimes we'd reach out early, and they'd say, hey, we'll get back to you on Wednesday because they didn't really have an answer on Sunday morning because it depended on what the COVID numbers look like in a general given area. So those are some of the things to keep an eye on. But other than that, it was a pretty, pretty easy season to navigate despite what was going on in terms of uh, health and safety protocols. Well, Reginald, I won't keep you because I do want to make sure you hit that airplane and you get back down here safe and sound. We are back up and running, by the way. Uh, you know, I spent some time down on the sideline with Coach Call, who actually ended up uh, retiring at the end of the year over at Oceanside after 20 years of giving it uh, his all. He actually stepped away. So being the player development character coach and then helping with linebackers was a lot of fun. But, uh, man, I miss this. I miss our conversations and educating and entertaining our guests and our listeners. And, man, I look forward to uh, you and I doing this again once a week. We'll kind of recap if you got time next week what we saw this week. And I'm sure there will be some new coaching hires across the, uh, across the country as well, buddy. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys. Take care down there, and I'll talk to you next week. You got it, buddy. The one and only Reginald Walker, Jr., of course, a former Nittany Lion. He played right over there at Penn State. He didn't end it with We Are, by the way. That's the normal thing that he gets a chance to do with us. But we are excited uh, to be back up and running. And that right there shows you, that right there shows you that, uh, you know what, at the end of it all, we are back up and running. Because guys like Reggie are back in here with us. And we got other dudes and uh, individuals that are going to be coming in. And right now, I believe, I think I got him hanging in here with me is, well, Eugene. What's up, buddy? Man, I know you're kind of doubling here. You're kind of uh, multitasking, man. But I want to get you in here for a couple minutes. And, uh, you know, we scratched a couple of services. I know you're getting a lot of things on Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. We've got some inside sources there. But what's your take on college football, man? Because that's kind of the, the plate that we're on right now. Well, it's that carousel this time of year, man. It's, that's what keeps, the, you know, guys like us, uh, 
you know, in, in, in the Twitter feeds and everywhere else, just because it's so exciting because you never know, like, who these hires are going to bring, you know, what coaches they're going to bring with them and how that affects recruits and, and, and players. Because, you know, we've got some players here in the low country who are affected by the Notre Dame decision. If We're still waiting on the official Notre Dame announcement, but we did get some inside information on that. Um, and that, you know, Coach Freeman uh, has been the defensive coordinator uh, there. And, uh, you know, uh, surely the guys, down, uh, the, the linebacker down at um, uh, Hilton Head, you know, from my understanding is if Freeman got the job, that was going to be a done deal for him back to Notre Dame. Um, I know he had done an official visit to South Carolina and some things like that, even though he's committed. But uh, we'll see how it shakes out, man, because it's really, really, really uh, rolling right now on uh on these things and uh ever changing landscape with who they hire you know when it comes down to assistance as well right. so we'll see how it goes yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun and, and, you know, and getting guys like reggie in here to have the conversation to to get in here and, and talk to us about what he sees because again you know reggie works for a tv station there in charlotte right there uh, in the queen city but he also covers two different college football programs He's very heavily involved. We didn't even ask him about how excited he's got to be that his coach over at Penn State just got a massive extension, which I don't think that guy's going anywhere, period. I, I think that guy's kind of a lifer there. And I would be, too, if I was him, because James Franklin is a perfect fit for Penn State, if you ask me. I like him personally as far as his mannerisms and how he handles himself just in general. You know, he takes a lot of criticism at times, but he also handles it in stride. You know, I mean, there was a guy – who uh, I believe they did a whole skit about him. You know what? He embraced it. He brought that guy to the field and said, hey, all right, let's have some fun with this thing. Those are the coaches that make yeah. it. That's like you see Dabo Sweeney. Dabo's not going nowhere. Everybody thinks that he's going to leave and he's going to go to Alabama because he started in Alabama as a, as a football player. But that doesn't mean because he played there, it means he should go coach there. You know, and I know people yeah. think that if Brent Venables takes a job, he would be in trouble. He's not going to be in trouble. He has continued to recruit great defensive coordinators this just happens to be the best one yet. Yeah, I agree on that. If, if Venable takes the Oklahoma job, which I'm not so sure that he will, I think he's got a good thing going. He likes being a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, once you become that head coach, you kind of uh, lose some of the small picture things because you're a big picture guy then. You're that CEO. And so, you know, I, I'm just not sold that he takes the Oklahoma job, honestly. Um, but, you know, going back to the other ones um, with uh, – you know, Penn State, I agree. I mean, excuse me, Virginia Tech, I agree. You know, that that's a homegrown guy. And, I, you know, he, he's been at the Big Ten. You know, he's been a defensive coordinator. And, you know, Penn State, everybody knows they've always had a great defense. Even in the down years, they've always had a great defense. So, we'll see how it rolls out. But officially, I, I guess it just Twitter, maybe that the uh, Freeman hire was at Notre Dame. Again, I think that locks up uh, at least one guy in the low country of South Carolina uh, in Jalen Sneed. And yep. I just got a text that said that probably does just lock up uh, Jalen Sneed to, to Notre Dame. And, you know, uh, as far as Freeling, I know this is a school that he's been coveted and they've coveted him very well. Um, and, you know, we'll see. Because we've still got two weeks of this uh, or another week and a half of the um, contact period. So we'll see if uh, – newly minted head coach Freeman at Notre Dame comes down to Oceanside to visit Freeman. I know that he's re- already talked to him tonight um, about the job. And, uh, you know, well, I guess we'll see who he hires for the O-line coach. 
because you know that you know your position coach is kind of the dude you're uh, uh, you know when you were a pitcher at Carolina you know your pitching coach is kind of the, your guy that's the guy you talk to right. day in day out and, and kind of have that relationship with and things like that so you know big night for Notre Dame if that's you know now that it's uh, apparently just at Twitter that that's who they've hired officially I know we got some early information on that but um Wow. You know, these things, the, the coaches' carousel, it's always right up to Thanksgiving where guys take other jobs or guys get fired, things like that, you know, right after the rivalry games. And then, you know, it's kind of like, well, we got to wait and see where the dominoes fall because not only is it head coaches, but again, like we just mentioned, it's the position coaches that a lot of these recruits have these, you know, long term relationships with. And it's the guys that, you know, believe in them, offer them, kind of talk to them, talk to them on the phone, that kind of thing. So. Right. We'll see where it goes because, again, you know, the dominoes are starting to fall. Some of these jobs are starting to fill up. And, you know, as the head coaches come in, we'll see in the next week or so possibly, um, you know, some of these uh, coordinators and and position coaches they hire because that may cause we might see a lot of flips. You know, just like we've seen a lot in the transfer portal, we may see a lot of the high school kids flip to, you know, hey, this is the the position coach that's been recruiting me for two years that gave me my first offer and, you know, a lot of times, you know, we tell kids to commit to a school, but we know right. how it is. It's relationships. It's a relationship business. And so kids will probably commit a lot of times to the guy that they know and trust and built that relationship with. So it's like, you, you know, you and I talk about this all the time, off the air and everywhere, but, you know, my first verbal commit was to where? NC State. I was a Wolfpack. I was, I was signed, sealed, and yet not delivered <clears throat> because of Ray Tanner, right? And then Coach Tanner comes to South Carolina. It's a little bit closer down 365 than it was heading over to the other side of North Carolina to Raleigh. So it made sense for me. I like Coach Myers. You talked about, you know, the position coach. Everything seemed to work for me, you know. But the one thing that we've said this on this show, and we continue to bring this up, is that, number one, guys, when you commit, yes, commit to a school, it's important to commit to that that situation, but it is understandable that you follow the coach because that's the culture that you're falling in love with, and there's a good chance. If you don't, if you've seen the movie Rudy, you know how this thing changes, right? You got a new coach, he's going to bring in a new culture along with a lot of new coaches. So I don't blame you for not sticking to what you see. And you're also a 17, 18-year-old kid too. But a guy came on this show that was a former player at App State, that was a former NFL player, also was a captain uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. And he said, when you choose your school, think about it this way. Can you live where you're going to school when it's all said and done? Because those are the people that are going to know you. Those are the people that are going to get to give you jobs and, and come and visit you and, and things like that. You see even here in Charleston, former Gamecocks are, are sitting there and, and here in Charleston are, are doing the real estate, are doing uh, certain other jobs because they know that they've already made a name for themselves in this state. And, and so that's a big part. Now, the other side, Eugene mentioned this, and this is a word that I think needs to get some clarification, and it needs to be – taught to these young men in high school right now you jumping in a transfer portal doesn't mean it's like star trek and it's going to beam you to the best next school in the state or in the country or wherever it doesn't mean that at all it means you get somewhere and if you're not careful it becomes known as the bermuda triangle of college football which means what that means that you get lost where you are it means that you don't go anywhere (laughs) you become the university of transfer portal and that ain't good because why? Because you weren't educated by someone and that told you that from what I understand, and I hung out with some college coaches on Friday night, 
And they kind of broke it down to me. Unless that coach knows that you're in that transfer portal. In other words, Oklahoma. Now, that coach goes to USC. Now, we know that quarterback has already entered the portal. Eh, he knows his dude's there. He might go get him. He might not. He might not. He might not need to. Okay, he might have it for a year or so. Do you want that guy for a year, or do you want to go get another dude? That's the thing. And that guy might not fit in that scheme. He might not fit with those receivers. My fear is that a lot of these guys, and I talk to a lot of guys here locally, nationally, that play college sports, college football per se, and they jump in this portal, and they never get out. My question is, <laughs> how do you let someone know you're in that portal? Because legally, they're not allowed to talk to you until you get into that portal, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so there, there is a lot of Russian roulette, if you will. There's a lot of um, lady luck on your side. You know, I give it to, you know, uh, Joyner at South Carolina. Let me tell you why I like Joyner. Number one, I watched this young guy from his little league years here in Somerville in the Charleston area all the way to his days at Fort Dorchester, all the way to his days out in South Carolina. And the carry-on joiner is an elusive athlete, okay? He's a great athlete and an even better person. But this is a guy who committed to the University of South Carolina and has stuck it out throughout. He could have jumped in a portal, and his abilities are very similar to what you would see in a running quarterback that can really break ankles all the way down the sideline. And he could have been great at Louisville. He could have been great at Virginia Tech. He could have been great a lot of places. Now, the University of South Carolina might not be the place for him as a quarterback, but you know what he said, I'll play where you need me to play. Okay? I'll go where you need me to go. I'll do what you need me to do. And he's doing that. And he's doing that in style, and he's doing that with a positive face. That cat smiles more than almost anybody on that, on that, on that roster. And I'm not saying nobody else is smiling, but I'm telling you, no matter what, he's giving it 100. He did that at Fort Dorchester. He did that, at, like I said, in the youth programs down here in Charleston. And I'm not surprised that he's doing it now at this level. And when he gets to the NFL, and I feel like he will, he'll do it there as well. And he's proud to be from the low country. He's proud to represent a community. And you're seeing that. But educating these young athletes is probably the biggest thing. And every time this year, I always get into this conversation with high school coaches and college coaches, and I don't talk to many NFL coaches, but I have a pretty good conversation list with, with the other two, and I don't understand why we don't take the rules and marry them across the board. I don't care. Eugene has stepped out for a minute, but if he steps back in, I'll bring him on this, but he's a special teams guy, and that's why I preface it to him. I don't have a problem with him bringing the goalposts that they kick in college into high school. Go ahead. If they miss it, they miss it. But guess what? When they start making them, they'll be prepared when they get to the next level. All the rules should be the same. If we're preparing our kids in the classroom, shouldn't we be preparing them on the football field for the next level? Baseball doesn't change. Other sports aren't changing. Why is it changing in high school? Why don't we have a, a tackle box for, for quarterbacks? All right? Why, why is there not certain rules? If we're here to protect these quarterbacks, why isn't there certain rules that they have in college, but we're not putting them down here? All right, there, there are the questions that I know that are going to come up that we'll get into in the off season. Like I said, we are back. We're up and running. We're going to do one show a week. Uh, Brandon still does his show on Fridays, which I know he's uh, getting ready to cover up some basketball stuff. I think he now turns his hat from Carolina Forest football to North Florida Beach basketball. Um, so that's a lot of fun for him. But, uh, and I'll join him on some Fridays as well uh, going down the road. But, you know, there is so many things. Eugene talked about this is kind of our next season, right, coaching carousel. 
recruiting. Oh, man, recruiting is huge. And we're definitely going to be locked into it here on this show because of Shane Beamer being back in Charleston, back in uh, the low country, back in the middle of the state, back up in the upstate. And that's where I need to see. I don't care what coach it is. I am not happy about watching these ballers roll up out of our state when, by God, we're not winning 10, 12 games a year in Columbia. And I know Clemson, okay, I get that they can go to the West and probably go to Guam and Hawaii too, but we got dudes right here. We got dudes right here. The last time the University of South Carolina was great, really, really good, was when we recruited in our own backyard. And we still got dudes like that, all right? There's Casey Adams. I watched that cat do some amazing things over at Gray, and he's playing for a state championship game. I watched him put his hand on the ground, leap over a dude, and keep running. Why he doesn't have an offer in the state. Why he isn't offered an opportunity to ball out. He's not the only one. He's just the most recent one. Probably one of the best running backs in our state right now. All right. I've seen, of course, uh, you know, you've got Adams who committed to, uh, to play over at Clemson. Uh, he's at Myrtle Beach. That's, that's a big deal. That's a great, great, great keep, you know. But that's my thing. And then these kids want to get out of our state. There's that conversation. One of our better kickers in the state is heading to Iowa. Iowa. Big Drew down here in North Augusta heading to Iowa. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure we could use them somewhere in the state. I just don't like to see our state – allowing these young men to leave our state. And so hoping and seeing that, like Eugene mentioned, there's a kid down there at Hilton Head and there's another kid at Oceanside, and they could be pretty heavily built and solidly fit to go to Notre Dame, but I don't like that. I I just don't. I just I like to see our boys stay at home. You know, I I like a little bit of home cooking, and whether it be at Clemson or or, or South Carolina um, or even you see some of these guys going to Coastal, that's becoming a great thing. How about Buddy Q and – South Carolina State, the dogs are barking all the way in Orangeburg, winning their conference, playing in their big bowl game. I know uh, Big Shaq Davis is over there, former Somerville Green Wave uh, wide receiver, going to be an NFL star. He's going to be a big-time guy. Um, they've got ballers all over the place. Uh, they really uh, have really done a great job of, of doing what they do and, and getting better at it. Right? I went to one game at State this year. They played Bethune-Cookman. Bethune got a great band. Got a great band. And I think they could be pretty good in football, but they got to put the right guy at the right place at the right time. And I wonder what that's like. But for right now, man, South Carolina State really is clicking on all cylinders. I thought defensively they look good. Uh, Coach Swaggart over there doing his thing with uh, with South Carolina State as the OC, former Somerville guy, uh, coached at Fort, uh, also coached at uh, Newberry, and uh, you know did some great things. So uh, you, you see a lot of this pedigree. Uh, Coach Chadwell up at the, uh, up at Coastal, you know, uh, these are guys who, you know, uh, you know, they had a great season last year. And this is where, and I wish I could pull it up. I wish I could pull it up, but I can't right now. But we will play it later, uh, maybe next week. But it's the rant that that Nick Saban went on last week, and he went off on his group. And, and, and I tell you what, there's a other, there's a ton of other groups that he can probably say, hey, say a little louder for those in the back. Because you get greedy as you win, and you get hungry as you win, and I understand that, but you need to remember where you are and where you come from. Okay, Alabama wins, you know, only by 30, and they got fans ready to throw TVs out of the rooms, right? And and even if they do find a way to to not pull it out, you know, he mentioned, he goes, nobody wants to win more than those players on that field, right? And, and, And so this is where you start to hear fan bases really kind of getting after it, really kind of getting into it. You know, and actually, you know, Frank Martin had a, had a great 
you know, uh, a fan and what it's like to get into, you know, all that happens. Because that's probably, you know, to me, it, it's some of the things I, I do want to um, – I want to play this real quick. This is Frank Martin's uh, parent coach from the stands. And, and, again, this is something high school uh, mamas and dads, I want you guys to listen to this too because I, I just feel this is a good time to share this. I know this. I'm the most animated coach that you've probably ever seen when my team's playing. I go watch my kids play. I don't say boo. I don't wave my arms. I don't try to coach my kids. With all due respect to most parents out there, I probably know more about basketball than most of them. Okay? But I sit in the stands and I don't say a word. There's two guys refereeing great games on a Sunday morning, what can they possibly be making? 20 bucks a game? I used to do that. I used to make $12 for 10 and under, 15 for 15 and under, and 17 or 18 bucks for high school age kids. Okay? So on a Sunday morning, instead of being in church, those guys are out there trying to make a couple bucks to pay their bills, feed their families. Do you think they really care what fourth grade team wins? Do you really think that they, like, sat at home and said, I can't wait to officiate that game tomorrow because that one team, I can't wait to get that 10-year-old kid and embarrass them in front of people? Do you really think that's what they're doing? I don't try to tell my kid how they should play. You know what I told my two boys when they come asking me, why are you asking me, man? I didn't run your practice. Go talk to your coach. But don't talk about your coach in front of me, man, because if you are, then you're not playing basketball. You don't understand why you didn't play better? Go talk to your coach. I'm not your coach. I'm your dad. Somebody disrespects you, then I'm here. If you fail, good. Deal with it. I'm going to help you get up. But don't come talk to me about coaching. I I do this for a living, man. I'm not going to criticize the guy that's trying to help you. And then the other part. So that's the officials. Do you think those coaches coaching fourth grade kids are making any money? So there's someone that's giving up their personal time on a Sunday for free to help other people's children, yet we're going to have the adults in the stands yelling obscenities at the officials, criticizing every decision the coach makes, yelling at the kids like the kids, they're 10 years old, man. Like if there were LeBron James and Dwayne Wade playing in the NBA Finals, like, like they know how to handle their coach over here and their parent over here yelling at them. Then we wonder why kids get confused, man, why kids rebel, why kids don't know how to listen. How can you listen when you got so many voices in your head at the same time? You know what life teaches you? Shut things off. And that's, that's the part that's frustrating to me. It's, if, if someone so, wants to be so animated when there's a basketball game going on, then go coach the team. Go run practices. Show up every day at 6 o'clock at night and run an hour-and-a-half practice. And then you got your team to coach. Or be an assistant coach. Sit on the bench, yell all you want. I don't care if people on the bench yell at my kids. I got two boys. I, if they don't deal with my children, they won't be on, my children won't be on their team. My, my child acts up or doesn't do things the way that they're expected to do things by them, not me. And they let it happen, I'm taking my son off the team. I want my son to be challenged, both of my boys. I want them to grow up. I want them to understand what life's about. But that's the part that's sad, man. Frank Martin, the head basketball coach at the University of South Carolina, he talked about, you know, you hear some of that. And and I've heard some of that in in the years I've been around high school football. 
I, I hear the course in the stands everywhere. I, I get it. Of course, everybody wants to just just destroy the referee, right? I mean, they're like at him. And then you hear the coaches. And, and he nailed it. He said, yeah, these guys don't have a pregame going, okay, that's that number 10. Remember last year? Oh, man, we got to get him, right? Or the coaches. That's an awful call. I don't see you out here, you know, late hours. I don't see you out here doing the things that these coaches are doing. And I've seen this and I've heard this and I've been around this. And, you know, you know, and these poor wives of these coaches, my God, these poor wives of these coaches, they, they have to listen to it forever because somebody around doesn't realize that that's, that's his wife. The poor, it, it's a sad situation. It, it really is. But, again, you know, we also heard Frank Martin go in another conversation a few years ago talked about kids haven't changed. Kids haven't changed. They haven't changed today. They won't change tomorrow. They won't change 20 years ago. The parenting has changed. And I'm not going to get to a big rant because my ADD will kick in and it'll be the next two hours of, a, of, of that. And I don't want that because we got a lot of great guests coming in. But it just kind of hit me a little bit when I heard Nick Saban going off on his fan base. And I thought, my God, that's something that everybody needs to hear. And I'll find it and I'll share it and we'll get it out there. We do have it on our social media at SO Sports Central and on Facebook at Southern Sports Central. But that's enough of that. We're going to change gears and uh, we're going to head over in just a few to uh, Anderson, South Carolina, to uh, Coach Scott Early, who has done some great things. I mean, some great things up there in the upstate. He's also, by the way, connected to one of the greatest games of all-star football in South Carolina, in the North-South game, as uh, he's got a new role. They didn't play football last year, but, boy, they're playing it this year, and that's up on the Grand Strand in December. As soon as we get these state championships out of here, uh, we'll, we'll get that. Uh, going. We've got some other bowl games, but coming up next, it's all north-south, and this is a big-time conversation with a big-time guy, and I can't wait to get him in here, guys. Let's slow it down a little bit, get some music in, come back top of the hour with a one and only, and I mean, I can't wait to get Coach Early in here in the next hour, guys. Don't go anywhere. Southern Sports Central, your source for all things sports, with your host, Richie Altman, Richie Altman. and Eugene Benton taking your call at 323-784-9681. Now, let's join Richie in the studio.
Welcome, everybody. Hour number two. I'm Rich. Y'all been running a little solo today, but that's okay because I've got a good friend of mine from the upstate and Anderson, South Carolina, the one and only, the big-time man in the upstate and covers the whole state all the way from west side. In just a few weeks, he'll be in Myrtle Beach for the north-south game, and that's Coach Scott Early. Coach, happy belated Thanksgiving and looking forward to hanging out with you for a few. Yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Man, I tell you, it's been a uh, – finally got a season under us, Coach. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your boys up there at Westside, man. A, a good season. Uh, I know our goal is always to win state championships, Coach, but uh, at least it wasn't some of the uh, distractions and some of the hurdles we had from last year. Can you talk a little bit about the season that you had before we talk to North-South football? Yeah, well, I mean, I you know, back-to-back region titles and, um, you know, played a tough non-region and – you know, got a win over Burns and some other folks and, you know, got in the playoffs with, you know, nine sophomores and two freshmen starting and um, five turnovers and got put out in the second round. But um, got a lot of very, very good team coming back. Probably the best team we've had since we came to Westside. So so optimistic about that. And, uh, you know, the off season's always um, a, a bittersweet when it comes to, the season's over, but you got a lot to look forward to. So we've 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 put the clock on the wall of days and hours to the 2022 state championship, and I've sort of moved on to to my role as the director of the Touchstone Energy Bowl. So it's um, you know a lot of moving parts, but, but blessed to be a part of a great high school program, and also be blessed to, to direct it, uh, what I consider one of the finest all-star games in the country. Amen to that, Coach. Being from Myrtle Beach, and you spent some time up there on the Grand Strand as well, uh, it's good to have you back on the Grand Strand. We're going to be joining you uh, during some of those days that week coming up here. Uh, and like you mentioned, uh, the best bowl game period uh, when it comes down to having our best athletes in the upstate going against our best athletes in the lower state. So we'll, we'll turn it now to the Touchstone Energy Bowl. And congratulations again on your director of Touchdown Energy uh, title there because your first year – we didn't get a chance to have this conversation about the game because of COVID, but now we get a chance. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like now we know what it's not. It's like to not have it, right? So these kids definitely uh, will be reminded. Remember last year there wasn't a game. This year they're getting a chance to play it out. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be our, you know, 73rd year of playing the Touchdown Energy Bowl. Obviously it would have been the 74th, but, um, you know, we're we're excited, you know, not, not having the – Shrine Bowl this year gives us opportunity to have the best 88 players in the state, you know, in one place, uh, you know, and spent a lot of time down at Myrtle Beach as the head coach and living down there and, you know, just always believed that, you know, you got Columbia and Greenville, but just always believed that the stars shine brighter at the beach. And um, we've got a, uh, a great, you know, group of young men coming in. And, you know, what makes our game unique is we haven't, you know, it's, it's for the participants. So we have all-star players. We have all-star coaches. We have all-star chain crew. We have all-star officials. And it's just, um, you know, longevity and, and successful careers. And it culminates in that game. And uh, a lot of times that's the last high school football game these kids ever play. And, uh, you know, going on to the next level, obviously special. But nothing like your last ever high school football game. So we're looking forward to, to December the 11th at 1230. And uh hope we have good weather and a festive crowd and everybody leaves there healthy and uh, and just blessed to be a part of a special event. 
Hanging out quickly here with uh, the man of the hour. Of course, uh, he is the director of the Touchdown Energy Bowl coming up here on December the 11th up there on the Grand Strand. Be played right over there at Doug Shaw Memorial Stadium where the stars will be bright over there on that day because you're going to see the best of the best from the upstate to the lower state. And uh, let's talk about the players. And then I do want to mention some coaches. But, you know, one of the traditions that, that I remember is that the kids switch out stickers. They're able to do a lot of different things like that. Coach, can you tell us about some of the rich traditions that some people may not know unless they've been around it? Yeah, there there is some deeply embedded tradition in the game. And, you know, the the trading stickers is a Saturday morning tradition um, that has stood the test of time. And, uh, it's you know, there's a lot of just unique, you know, we've got uh, escorts and equipment managers have been part of this game for 30-something years. You know, Bobby Miller down at Somerville, has been a part of this game for over 30 years as equipment manager. And um, some of our escorts and our and our people that are involved in the in this game have just, you know, they've embraced it for so so many years. And, and it's, it's, it's literally their best week of the year. You know, their, their Christmas comes early. So, um, and all that that all these people do and, you know, the city of Myrtle Beach, our sponsors, Tuxedo Energy, Electric Co-ops, all all these people, I don't want to sound like a NASCAR driver, but all these people uh, <laughs> provide us the budget it takes to put to put on a just a fantastic event. And uh, nice. we're looking forward to it. I'm actually I'm actually going down on Saturday to get everything laid out. And you know, for me, I, I've been a part of this game since 2000 and was a co-director since 2003. And then Coach Richardson retired, and uh, you know they decided to. To, to hire me, and it's just an honor and a privilege to, to be a part of such a special event. Hanging out with Coach Scott Early. He's the head football coach uh, up there in Anderson, of course, uh, at Westside, but he's also the director of the Touchdown Energy Bowl coming up here on the December 11th date, 1230. It's going to be at Myrtle Beach High School over there at Duckshaw Memorial. Uh, coach, now we also get a chance, and you guys get a chance to do this, and this is another big thing, is that we get to crown Mr. Football, right? I mean, that is the best athlete, uh, student athlete in our state. That's always been a tradition as well. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how, how that came about and, and how that plays a major role, I believe, at halftime, right? Yeah. I mean, um, back in the early 2000s, we had a uh, traditional banquet uh, dinner type event, award ceremony, and um, we kind of transitioned into putting the emphasis on the Mr. Football finalists and who wins and uh, I think we went to this format in 2016 where we announced the winner at halftime. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's a unique event. It's the Heisman Trophy of South Carolina. And, um, you know, you look at you go back and look at the list that's listed, you know, in the program of, of, of every winner. Um, it's, it's, it's the most prestigious football award you can win in South Carolina. And we, uh, in conjunction with our game, and, you know, Touchstone Energy sort of picked up the ball and, sponsors that event too so they are they're just tremendous for uh i mean you wouldn't believe how much money and and man hours and how proud you know electric co-ops are all over the state of south carolina and uh, from all the areas and and they all come together and they, they you know they put their money where their mouth is they believe in high school football as a uh, as a molder of men and the shaper of men and um you know they just, they're just a tremendous sponsor and and really, you know, the reason this game goes on in, in, in today's world and Mr. Football happens and all that stuff happens is because of their sponsorship. So, um, 
you know, it's a special time at halftime. You announce Mr. Football, and then you and you play the second half, and and you know, in a short period of time, you have a winner, and hopefully everybody goes home happy and healthy, and um, sort of a kickoff to the Christmas season and the end of a football season. Talking about this big time game coming up on December 11th at 12:30, right over there at Doug Shaw Memorial Stadium. That's on the Grand Strand, home, of course, of the Touchdown Energy Bowl North South game coming up here in just a few weeks. Uh, now, now, Coach, when you look at this thing, and, and these kids, uh, you know, they get selected uh, a few weeks ago, right? And now they'll get there, if I'm not mistaken, on Tuesday. They'll be put in a hotel room. They'll be given a schedule. And it's kind of the first touch of what college football is going to be like for those who are going to play at the next level. They realize at this point it's a schedule, stay on schedule, be on time, be early, and they're going to tell you where to go. And this is kind of what college sports is all about is kind of a schedule, stay there, be there, and make sure that you give it all you got. Yeah, well, we have a, you know, a, a different format this year. Normally we come in traditionally on Sunday, and um, we, we go Sunday to Saturday. And, you know, I felt like over the years with the uh, advances in football, we sort of are hurrying up to wait at the end of the week. We, you know, we've got events like, you know, bowling and pizza and golf and IMAX. And, you know, it's, it's a bowl type experience. But um, this year we felt like it was, a you know, just a quick turnaround from the state championship. And, you know, Myrtle Beach is a great host. And, so this year we're actually I'm bringing my staff in on Monday and on Tuesday we're bringing the players and coaches in so we're going to lose a couple of days but we feel like we're going to not have you know maybe any downtime and more um, you know go 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 from practice to meals to entertainment so this is the first time we've ever done this so it's going to be you know a little different but our now our Tuesday will be traditionally our Sunday so that's probably uh, the biggest change and obviously the biggest addition is with the uh, Joanne Langford Jr. Showcase on Friday night. Uh, Joanne was a longtime English teacher and journalism person at Myrtle Beach. She was also my secretary. Mm. And when I left Myrtle Beach to come to, you know, the Midlands and into the upstate, I hired Joanne to be a big part of this. And last year we we lost her. She passed away. And um, we're going to try to honor her, you know, her legacy and what she'd done for the game for over 13 years for – having the first annual Joanne Langford Junior Showcase. So that's going to be a little different. Um, we've added a few things and, and maybe made some adjustments. And, you know, always when you get finished, you, you sort of get critiqued and people tell you what they like and what they don't like. And we take feedback from a lot of folks and just try to grow the game and make the game better. Um, you know, and this year for the first time ever, we're the only sanctioned all-star game in the state of South Carolina, you know, with the Shrine Bowl not playing. So we were able to – to get the top product, and, and, and we're looking forward to a, a great week and hopefully the good Lord will bless us with some good weather and uh, it'll be a, a festive time and everybody will, will enjoy themselves and we'll have a great junior showcase and a great competitive game on Saturday. Hanging out here for a few more minutes with Coach Scott Early. He's the head football coach at Westside, but tonight, of course, he also gets a chance to talk about his other role, and that is a director of touchdown Energy Bowl, the North-South game, to be held over on December 11th up on the Grand Strand at 1230. You used a word that I'd like to kind of put out there, Coach, and if you're not allowed to, you can tell me because I know the Coaches Association, you know, you guys are, are a tight grip fraternity, which we respect and we, we support you guys 110%. Uh, that being said, Coach, uh, sanctions, right? Uh, this is the only sanctioned game in the state of South Carolina. That comes with rules and regulations. And the reason I'm bringing this up because we have parents listening who, who don't know the rules, who don't understand because, well, they trust that their coaches are going to put them in the right place, and they should. 
But I feel like if you can explain to them what does that mean and, and what benefits comes out of it by you being the only sanctioned bowl game in the state of South Carolina. I'll be glad to. It's, it's basically a, a effort between the South Carolina High School League, Jerome Singleton, the executive director, and Shell Dula, the executive director of the South Carolina Coach Association, which which basically boils down to uh, the sanction and the, the, the ability to play uh, and use your equipment, use your, you know, your, your shoulder pads, your helmet equipment, and be covered by catastrophic policy and, you know, not have to um, uh, buy anything or, 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 for lack of a better term, play out of the trunk of your car. And it's, um, it's, it's something that's um, – there's a lot of more details to it, but it's basically the rules of uh, – if you're a senior in the state of South Carolina, you're, you're allowed to play in two – all-star games, one being in-state and one being out-of-state. So let's say um, if we were having a Shrine Bowl this year and uh, Scott Early was in the Shrine Bowl, then he would be allowed to play an Under Armour game or the All-American game in Texas, and that, that would be, you know, a sanctioned event where it's supported and backed by the high school league in conjunction with the Coach Association, where, you know, a lot of times um, there's some other, you know, things that take place, and, and, and they're they're great events, but they're – um, there's some, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, some liability involved. You're, you're responsible sort of right. for uh, the host providing, you know, those things. And, and with us, we, uh, we, you know, through the high school league and the coach association, we're able to uh, – it's basically a culmination to the end of a high school football season. It's no different than a region title game or a state championship. And it's sanctioned by the Sacramento High School League and the coach association. So that's – a, a very unique thing, and like I said, this is going to be the 73rd play-in of the, you know, the North-South game, which is now the Touchstone Energy Bowl uh, electric co-ops because of their sponsorship. And out of their 73 years, this guy's been with them for 21 years. Coach, man, does it feel like just yesterday you walked out on the field as an assistant or as a guy that just, man, just give me a job, Coach. Uh, where did you start at? Where was, where was job number one, and what was that job uh, when you got into this coaching profession? Well, I mean, I started out in, you know, up in North Carolina, Kings Mountain, and was fortunate enough to be with a legend, Mickey Moss, at Lake City, moved on and opened up Carolina Forest, and was fortunate enough to be named the head coach at Myrtle Beach at 28 years old, and met a guy named Stan Olenek, and, um, you know, back in the late 90s, Doug Shaw, who was the legendary head coach at Myrtle Beach, had sort of bailed the game out. It had bounced around and been in different places. He brought it to the beach. And there was sort of like, uh, kind of like an unwritten rule in baseball that whoever the head coach at Myrtle Beach was would be involved in that game. So I was able to, to work under Stan Olenek in the 2003. And then after that, me and Keith Christian worked together uh, as co-directors all the way up to 2019. So it's one of those on-the-job training kind of things. And it's something that, you know, now at this point in my life and my career, I've got a lot of skin in the game and the game's very important to me. And um, I've got a great staff of people that help me and, you know, great sponsors. And, and my, you know, I still have a lot of strong ties in Myrtle beach with, you know, city council, the mayor, tax accommodation people. So it's just, it's, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that makes this happen. It's, it's not, it's not really easy to pull it off. And, you know, what people see is when they come down in the second week of December, they see the game, but they don't really see, what goes on the other, you know, 358 days of the year. So um, 
but at the end of the day, it's it's for the kids, the coaches, the officials, the chain crew. It's, it's for people to be honored for the time they've put in, the commitment they've had, and for a player, the career they've had. It's not really a one-year-based thing. It's what kind of high school career you have. And that's what I think. You know, I talk to the people that do games in Georgia and Texas and count other places, and I think that's the thing that makes our game very unique. Hanging out with the director of Touchdown Energy Bowl, the one and only coach, Scott Early, hanging out with us tonight, giving us an update and kind of a, a behind-the-scenes look, if you will, on one of the great games that's been happening now for 73 years uh, as uh, he's been a part of it for 21 years. Uh, coach, it, it seems like in our state, and, and you've been coaching in our state for a, a long time as well, that we're always trying to continue to get to the next level. Now, they talk about athletics in North Carolina, which you spent some time in. They talk about Georgia. Where did we stand in the country in high school football, in your opinion, and how far do we need to get to the, get to that next step? Well, I, I think I think – you know, to honestly answer your question, we're, we're a small state. And I think, you know, on a scale of relativity, you know, I would I would probably put our, you know, top 50 up against any predominant football state, Texas, Georgia, where, where you want to talk about. I just think we we, we deal more in in quality than we do quantity. You know, we, we, we don't have as many as they do, but uh, if you look over the years of, South Carolina football and who's went to college, who plays in the NFL, even if you look at the NBA and you, you look at the, the quality products we come have as state, we might not have as many, but, you know, I think our bang for the buck over the years has been great. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think we need to go anywhere. I think we need to focus on, you know, appreciating more of what we have and understanding that we're uh, a very small state that carries a very big stick when it comes to high school football. I totally agree with you, Coach. Now, before I get you out of here, and again, I want to thank you and your family for some time tonight. It's been a while. I look forward to catching up with you, by the way, uh, on this week coming up uh, with uh, this big bowl game. I get a chance to go back home to be around my family as I grew up there in Surfside, so it's just an opportunity for me to get home. But uh, coming to Myrtle Beach is going to be a couple coaches. You know, one of those is Art Craig. He's the hand-to-hand coach, and you got another guy who's been selected as the coach on the north side, Coach. Tell us both of these coaches, if you don't mind, and, and how do you get selected? Who picks this? How do you get to get this honor to be a part of such a prestige bowl game? Well, uh, the South Carolina Football Coach Association holds a um, running tally of basically seniority. And it's um, you have uh, in the game you have seven coaches, five of them of which are head coaches and two that are assistants. So you have uh, a running tally of, how many years seniority you have in the South Carolina Coach Association, how many years seniority you have in the South Carolina Football Coach Association, and how many years seniority you have as a head or assistant coach. So it really – I know people think sometimes there's politics involved, but it's really a, a mathematical equation. So it's – you know, just I'll give you an example. So um, I've always turned down the coaching North South game because of what I do with the game. In 2010, I coached in the Shrine Bowl, and I coached the Under Armour game out down in Florida. This year was – or last year, when we didn't have the game, was my year to be the head coach. And my son, Bryce, was a senior, and I was going to kind of serve as a dual role as a head coach, but also the co-director. And then when Coach Richardson decided that he was going to retire, um, I didn't feel like that I could wear two hats with directing the game on my own and coaching the game. So, 
So the next guy seniority wise was Coach Farmer, so he's now the coach of the North. So it's not it's not a good old boys system or a politics system or there's nothing political. It's just a running tally of how many years have you done it? How many years have you been part of these organizations? And and that's how that kind of shakes out. And then when that selection's made, the selection of the players are a hundred percent totally up to the staff. So you know, the director or the game board chairman or the uh, the father in Columbia with deep pockets, none of them have anything to do with who's selected for this team. And uh, I'm glad you uh, gave me the opportunity to kind of clear that up because a lot of times I see some things that are misnomers and are not quite true. And that's sort of how yes, it legitimately works. It's a uh, sort of like a, I don't know, a democracy. So, Right. Which was, which how it should be. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if I, if I it was a head coach of football, if you were a head coach, uh, coach, you and I would want to get the best of the best. And that's why it, it, it is an all-star selected event. And, you you know, it, to you it may not be the best guy, but to me, hey, I see something that he fits the team that I'm putting together. And, and again, I just want to give you guys, and, and particularly you, Coach, a chance to put everything out there. I wanted to know, okay, sanction. What does that mean? You know, what is this? These coaches and players, of course, hear it, but parents don't understand sanction. They think it's something bad. Well, it could be bad, right, Coach? I mean, if somebody took some pads as a junior and went and played in the game and it wasn't a sanctioned event, there could be some there could be some consequences of that, right? I mean, I mean especially if there's an injury, catastrophic injury or something like that. And right. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, when these teams are selected, you wouldn't believe the calls and emails I get, and the, and the and you know, I'm glad you're giving me the opportunity to clarify some things because you ne- you never really get to do that. You got to kind of do it on an individual basis, and I think sometimes, you know, that people don't understand. You know, that there's a misnomer of if you're coaching the game, you're automatically allowed to take a player from your school. That's 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 not a rule, and it's not true. It's 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 just uh, it's it's uh, it's judgmental, but it's whatever that staff meets, you know, twice a month. They watch film. They talk to people. They they we have combines. They look at they they try to make the best selection possible, and that 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 falls under obviously a lot of scrutiny. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, I can tell you after being with this game for 21 years, there is absolutely no favoritism, politics, or good old boy system that goes on. I think sometimes people just don't understand, and they have a skewed opinion of kids make it and this kid not. And it's, you know, there's some rules behind it, too. You know, it's, it's you, you can only take two kids from each school. Sure, we could take four kids from Dutch Fork, but the rules say we can only take two. You have to take one kid from each region. So if you have a, a weaker region, well, then a, a kid that might not have an opportunity gets the opportunity because he represents not only his school, but his whole region. So it's it's right. sort of it's something that needs to be, you know, published. But, uh, you know, at least hopefully tonight we give people some understanding of what goes on behind the scenes of this tremendous all-star game. Yeah, I, I want to echo what Coach just said. He is, of course, the director of the Touchdown Energy Bowl coming up on uh, December 11th, and that is, of course, uh, Coach Scott Early. Uh, again, you heard what he said, guys. Listen up. It, it doesn't matter who your daddy is. It don't really matter who your mom is. It matters who the athlete is, okay? So – you can only have at least two players, no more than two players per team, okay? And there's got to be at least one per region, okay? So that's just kind of the way it falls. You mentioned Dutch Fork. Why? Because, well, you know, they've won a lot of state championships. And I'm sure they've got more than two dudes on there that easily can make this team. But the rules are the rules. And that's how it works. But for you want to be mad at this guy, 
Think about that guy in Columbia that says, I got, I got to put a whole other hand out to put a state championship ring on it, but I only got two guys on this team. So there's two sides to, to, to this coin, Coach. And that's why I wanted to get you on here tonight because that gets brought to me every year, this time of year, and people don't understand. And I say, well, number one, the coaches pick. Number two, there are a few rules, like they have to have two and only two per school if they get a, you know, a selection, and there has to be at least one from every region. And, again, how many regions uh, – I mean, that, that touches, what, 80 regions in the state? I think we've got you know, maybe 40. Um, third, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I know there's 40, a handful. 42 every year. No, 36 to 42 right. every year. But, but you know, okay. you, 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 you enunciated and said, well, what I was trying to say in concise form, but, um, you know, it's good to get that word out to the, to the general public. So people understand the nuts and bolts of how these things really work. And I think that's – I think the legitimacy and the way we do it is, you know, why we're the only sanctioned all-star game in the state of South Carolina. And that's um, – it's, there's just a process and a lot that goes into it, and and um, you know I, it's just like anything else. I wish everybody could get a trophy, but that's just not realistic. And you know sometimes you those coaches and myself and other people fall under some some probably undeserved scrutiny, but I, most of sure. it comes from the lack of understanding of how the process really works. And again, I appreciate the opportunity you let me come on, and that was a poignant question and never gets answered, but. I <laughs> uh, appreciate you answering that question and allowing me to explain that to the public. You got it, Coach. Uh, again, knowledge is power, and that's what we try to do, educate and entertain them in the same sense here on the show, Coach. You've always been first class to me. You didn't even hesitate when I reached out to you. Uh, I, I know I'm going to see you, of course, uh, on this week coming up of uh, all the excitement here. You've invited us in, and we're definitely going to come back up there and hang out with you. And then I, I got a feeling we'll see you in a couple weeks, uh, closer towards the end of the year up that way as well. But uh, Coach, again, for all that you do, not just, of course, here with the Touchdown Energy Bowl, and, and people don't realize as a director, man, you, he, sleeping is not an option. I mean, that's just the way it works. So you just signed up for sleepless nights for the rest of your life. Not only are you the head coach at Westside, you know, you, you, you control a lot of things and make a lot of big decisions in a bowl game that's uh, got a lot of prestige and it's earned it in the last 73 years. Now, if they can't make it to Myrtle Beach, I, I would imagine, is this thing going to be televised? And if so, uh, you got any information there? And if they do make the trip, what do they need to bring? Is there any type of rules that they need to be following? Well, the televised thing, you know, we've, we've done that in the past, but the, the, the cost is sort of more than the reward. And, and what happens mm-hmm. is the some of the proceeds from this game goes into the scholarship fund where that all high school coaches in all sports in the state of South Carolina have opportunity if their children qualify, they get a $500 a semester scholarship, um, you know, and we, we do the shopping trip at Target where we take 4,400 privileged kids and, and, and give them a $150 gift card and our, and our kids take them shopping. And uh, so there's, there's a lot of um, really good things that goes on, you know, behind the scenes, you know, in this game that's very unique. Um, but, you know, I don't know if, I hope that answered your question adequately, but sure. uh, there's just so much. Like we could talk about this for an hour, and 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 it would it would it would educate people on the people that just see what happens on Saturday. So, that's right. But you know, it's it's a, it's 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 a unique event, very 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 unique event, very special event. 
Well, Coach, again, thank you for inviting us. We will see you on the beach, on the Grand Strand at Doug, uh, Doug Shaw Memorial Stadium coming up. Uh, the game is December 11th. The event starts on Tuesday for the athletes and the coaches, and uh, we're looking forward to being there. We're going to do some live shows with you. We're going to get you, of course, uh, in front of us. Uh, yeah, we're excited about Ian being a part of what you guys are doing over there, so we're going to get him in there with us as well. Uh, there's just so many guys that, that you have brought on since you've taken this role that, that we're excited about because we see this going in the right direction. And, uh, again, thank you for your time tonight to clarify to a lot of parents who think that it's this way or that way because today we peeled the first piece of this onion back and able to get some answers. Well, I, I didn't really answer your question. I, I would add this. Our practices are – I get texts and emails all the time. Our practices are open to the public. Uh, they're open to, you know, college coaches below FCS because of the, the guidelines. We can, we can have, you know, FCS, D2, D3, NAI, and junior college – all, all the things we do are open to the public. The the uh, junior showcase on Friday night is absolutely free as long as you sit in the stands because we got so much going on. It's no different than the NFL Combine minus the Wonder Lick test. Uh, that's all free. Uh, admission to the game is, you know, in advance. We sold tickets online. If you come to the game, it's, it's $20. It's, it's worth the price of admission. Uh, you don't need to bring anything. There's plenty of food and festivities and and just just a great day of Mr. Football announcement halftime and uh, we welcome you know anybody we hope we have a large crowd because you know those dollars that crowd pays go goes right back to improving this game so uh, we we thank you for having us on tonight and uh, look forward to a great week next week and hope we'll have a big crowd uh, next Saturday at 1230 at Doug Shaw Memorial Stadium. Coach, thank you again, and we look forward to it. We will see you next week one-on-one, and we'll get some of these other things uh, taken care of as we hopefully have you join us on a few more shows. Coach, thanks again. Yes, sir. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give it up for Scott Early, the head football coach over there at Westside during football season. And, well, 365, he's the director of the Touchdown Energy Bowl that's happening for the 73rd time up in Myrtle Beach, December 11th. At 12:30, he's been a part of this program for 21 years up there. I, of course, get a chance to go back home, and uh, I got a feeling our next guest is David Shelton. By the way, I got a feeling. I hope that he's going to be up there because he and I are going to maybe do some specials. You got to eat up in Myrtle Beach. That's kind of right up his love language. As much as he likes to go to these games, I think some of it he likes to find some of these hot spots to and uh, enjoy some opportunity and some food. So let's do this quick, quick break. The man with the plan. The Friday night guru that is david shelton he covers everything and everywhere we've got state championships happening on friday and saturday we've got that coaching carousel or musical chairs happening right now and a lot more and he will join us right after this guys don't go anywhere southern sports central coming out of break guys Central. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And give us a call at 323-784-9681. Let's rejoin Richie and Eugene on Southern Sports Central. 
And the pack is back as we bring in the van with the plan. Uh, David Sheldon joins us now, and he's connected to about every high school connection in the state. Tonight he's with us once again on Southern Sports Central. What's up, David? Hey, how's it going? Man, I tell you what, there's a lot to talk about. I know we don't have a lot of time, man, but, whew, man, I tell you what, you don't sleep much at all. Are you looking forward to February, maybe March, when you finally get to go take a nap? <laughs> I don't take a nap. I, I take a nap in June because we got we go right into winter sports and then we go to spring sports and and you know June I will promise to take a little vacation and take a little bit of nap. I I can imagine, man. I tell you, it has been quite the season, David. You've done a great job covering it. I know you've been on a lot of different avenues. I've been over at Oceanside. We're gonna talk Oceanside with you in a little bit because I'm curious some thoughts on you, Matt. And of course, Stahl's gonna have a new coach over there. And well, you look at that coaching carousel, man. It, it's opened up pretty good. Let's talk about that first before we talk about the big games on Friday and Saturday coming up. But you look around right now, and you've got Stahl, Bluffton, uh, Louisville, Bowling Spring. That's a big one. Dorman, Batesburg, Leesburg, Newberry, Oceanside, and Burke all have an openings, and handful of the or three or four of those are right here in the Low Country. Uh, which one of those to you, right off the rip, is the most intriguing job if you were a head coach looking for a spot? Or I'd have to say Dorman. Uh, you know, the, Dorman has uh, got everything you want uh, as a football coach with uh, monetarily support. Obviously, the facilities are top-notch. Uh, the program is well-established, uh, big-time winning program under Dave Gutshaw. Uh, so, you know, if it if – it, if I were a, a high school head football coach and I had my picks, I would definitely take the Dorman job. A little bit of pressure there, but everything is there for the next guy to win. Uh, so, I mean, it, 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 would, it would take a – I hate to curse the next coach, but it would take a moron to, to blow that thing up. <laughs> yeah, because it was one of the first college campuses, right? I mean, everybody said that when they built that thing. Now there's some other campuses like Wando and a few other ones that look like college campuses. But that was kind of the first one that everybody was like, wow, okay, they like football, and, and you can see why now, right? I mean, that's kind of set the bar for everybody, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, their uh, their facilities, like I said, are, are, are a second to none. Uh, they have great support. They have a large uh, student body, a lot of males to choose from. Football is a big deal there. Uh, basketball is a big deal there, too. But really, sports in general, I mean, they win in everything, basketball, baseball, uh, cross-country, golf. I mean, all those all those sports are great. Uh, but football is the one that pays the bills, and, and I, I think uh, I think whoever – they'll be. I'd like to see the list of people that apply. Uh, they they would never release that, I'm pretty sure, but I would like to see it. Yeah, I would imagine that's one of those ones that I'm sure they could go almost anywhere, right, in the southeast, on the west coast. I mean, Dorman's made a name for themselves to be a, a, a premier spot to call home. I mean, when you look at it. Now, let's move around a little bit, and, and you see Stahl, of course. That coach and I had a conversation. I know you've talked to him. He's a great individual, and I hate to see him step away from the game for a little while, but he's got a little one. Talked about wanting to be a little bit more of a dad. You're kind of seeing that now with some coaches, by the way. Uh, wants to be a little more family than, than, than football, and I respect that. But Stahl is a spot, if they go down to 4A, and there's rumors that that's where they're going, a little more competitive with James Island and Collinson County and a few other schools around here that could join. Uh, what, what's your take on a Stahl job? And, and, of course, we can look at Burke and Oceanside, who I know that surprised you as well the other day. Yeah, uh, you know, Stahl, Stahl you can – 
I mean, 4A will still be difficult. Uh, they've got some issues to work out. Joe Joe Bessinger did as good a job as he could do. Uh, you know, if they have really great players, they end up transferring to other schools. Uh, so you're fighting that battle. But Saul has won before. Now, it's been a while, but, uh, you know, they have been competitive before. So you get the right guy in there, the right energy, can it get the kids out to play the really good athlete and keep them there. I, I think you can be competitive in 4A. As for the other other job, you know, Oceanside, I, I, I was hearing rumors throughout the season or about from mid-season on. So, um, you know, Joe stepping down was not a complete shock. Um, so, I, you know, because I had an inkling it was coming. And, uh, you know, but and, and he did it for much the same reason that Joe Bessinger did. Was, you know, he's got he's got a, a, a teenage son and an 11-year-old daughter, and he, he, he basically got burnt out from coaching. And he wanted to be more of a dad. And he said that it was he was starting to bring his his football stuff home, which he had never done before. And and he knew right then that he needed to make a change. Uh, football was consuming him. Uh, Oceanside had a lot of expectations this year. Uh, they, you know, I mean, I didn't think they could win lower state, but a lot of people felt like they could win lower state and play in the state finals. Um, I thought they had some deficiencies that was going to prevent that, and as it turns out, they did. But uh, a lot of pressure there, and, you know, Chad Greer really started something and created the monster. And and the next guy, whoever it was, whether it was, you know, David Shelton or Joe Call or Richie Altman, was going to have that pressure. Um, so I, I don't know that I don't know that from the community or the pressure to win. I mean, it's not like they've got a rabid fan base. But I think the pressure of coaching high school football in this state is pretty high, and I think Joe is going to walk away. I think he's very comfortable having having talked to him, and I've known Joe since he was a ball boy at Somerville for his granddad. Um, uh, used to throw the football with him at halftime on the sidelines uh, when he was just a youngster. But I think he's going to walk away, and I think he's going to be fine. Um, now, I, I would not rule out coaching, but I think uh, high school coaching I don't think he's going to do. Uh, you know, maybe a college thing might open up, you know, Citadel, Charleston Southern, you know, as assistant or something like that. But, um, but I think he's got his, he's got his map. He knows what he wants to do now. He he's got something lined up uh, work-wise uh, that will allow him to be home in the evenings and with his kids. And I I applaud him for that. You know, in today's world, buddy, we all need dads, and we need as many dads home as possible. And uh, and and Joe's going to be a good dad. No doubt. And I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time. And now being with him this past year, David, it means more now to me than, than it did when I accepted the opportunity back in, in July. Now, let me ask you a question about Burke High School. I feel, David, it's a 2A school, okay? And I know they got athletes in the hallways. Getting them to the football field and, and a few other obstacles they may have there, I understand. But, David, can somebody go in there? And, and I'm not saying they haven't had the right guy, but, but somebody go in there and, and win at this program? I just feel – I see athletes in this hallway when I go over there and take a visit and talk to Mr. McLeod in the band room. So I'm sure that they, they've got at one point equal out to some talent on the field. Yeah, they, they have talent. I mean, they have, they have players. Uh, they don't have enough, and they don't have depth. That's where they got to – you know, again, Burke has won before. When Earl Brown was coaching Burke, uh, they, they were winning region titles. As a 2A school, this was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But uh, they have had success, and they're going to have that new stadium. Uh, Stony Field is going to be ready for them next year. 
uh, you know, it's going to be really nice you know, facility, uh, way better than what it used to be for sure. So maybe that will excite the kids. And, again, you've got to get a guy in there that can just generate excitement and get the kids out, build some depth. Um, but, you know, I mean, let's, let's be serious. 2A football down here, you just got to have a, a couple of good athletes and a, and a good system, and you can win more than you lose. Uh, you know, Philip Simmons is going to be moving up from 2A. So, uh, you know, Bishop England's already moved up. Now, Woodland may end up in 3A, but they'll, they'll probably be 2A again next year. Timberland probably be 2A, but Philip Simmons is definitely moving up, it looks like. Um, so, I mean, you know, the right guy uh, with the right attitude and the right energy, yeah, I, I think they can compete. I don't think they can, you know, we're not talking state championship, but win more than you right. lose, and that should be the goal in today's high school football, win more than you lose, not not win 10 or 12 because it's very difficult. But if you got right. 10 games, win six, do that every year, you keep your job forever. <laughs> very true. They actually made the playoffs, I believe, but opted out because of some COVID and some contact. Tra- I, I'm not 100% sure why, but, uh, you know, that was a big deal. I, I, I saw that, and I thought to myself, okay, I know a guy that would be a good fit there. That's a conversation you and I have to hear, but I think he would go in there and light it up and do very well over there at um, – over at Burke as well. Now, let me ask you this. You talked about realignment. That's the conversation that's getting ready to be having here shortly. Uh, I hear stalls going down. Berkeley is in that conversation. 4A seems to be what they're trying to build in the low country, so that Collison County and James Island and, and a few other schools, Lucy Beckham, I believe. No, uh, there's, other, there's another school that may have to travel as well. But this way it keeps everybody here in the low country. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. I, I don't – I think Berkeley's numbers are – in 5A, and, and unless they raise the bar in terms of the threshold, uh, they would either be, you know, a fairly small 5A school or a really big 4A school. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I was under the impression from my discussions that they would remain 5A. But, again, if they change the threshold of the number of students, they could they could bump down to 4A, and that would create a little better regional conference. Um but, uh, you know, realignment is, is tricky every year. I mean, there'll, there'll be appeals. Um, Stahl, you mentioned Stahl. They, they've appealed to stay in 5A or to be in 5A because of travel and budget concerns, and it's just not working out, uh, especially from a football perspective. It's, it's, they don't need to be 5A. It's not fair to their kids. Uh, it's not fair to their fans, whatever number of fans they have. They need to be playing in the level that they are – assigned to play and not appeal to go up to save money. I understand the travel, going to Buford a couple times a football season, but the next year, you don't, I mean, you know, it it all balances out. you got to give your kids a chance. Now, having said that, would Stahl play with May River? No. Would they play with Buford? No. Uh, But Bluffton is a a team they could have competed with. Um, You know, Hilton Head from year to year depends. Uh, probably can't beat them, but could be competitive. But I can tell you, they'll be more competitive in that league than they are with West Ashley, Fort Dorchester, Somerville, and Ashley Ridge. Now, you, you talk about that region. So, two-part question here for you, David, is, one, if they move down to 4A, would that mean that region has to find another team to fill that hole to make everything equal across? Or not that well, – the commissioner would, I guess, or somebody in the coaches' association alignment. And then, two – Talk to me a little bit about this region because you see Somerville finishing in fourth. Ian Rafferty, of course, dealing with 
you know, coming in as a new coach, and there's been, you know, some, some, some things done differently because of the factor of COVID, and he didn't get his first year probably the way he wanted it. But you see what Wes Ashley's done. I mean, this guy's coming in here and kind of pick up where he left off, where he came before he got to West Ashley. Uh, you see Ashley Ridge is having some success too, but leading that pack, <laughs> Fort Dorchester, and a win that I, I thought they could have, should have, would have won that game last weekend against Dutch Fork. But what's your thoughts on that region? Because it seems like uh, that's a pretty interesting conversation between the top four. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, I, and, and that as for a fifth team, you know, I'd have to look look a little harder to see where James Allen's numbers are. They have been 5A before. I don't think that they're uh, going to be 5A, so I don't know how they would they'd figure that out. They, they want five teams. They'll have five teams. I just don't know how they'll figure it out. But with those four you mentioned, um, you know, they're all going to be better next year. I think Fort is going to be really good again next year with Smalls and Zoltan Osborne and Trey Ryan on offense. And Now, they got some – Couple of studs to replace on defense, but um, but they're going to be good. Somerville was was had a lot of underclassmen. They're going to be really good next year, uh, I think. Uh, Ashley Ridge had a lot of underclassmen. Uh, if they get a, if they get better offensively, uh, they're going to be pretty solid on defense next year. So with those three linebackers, and then West Ashley, they lose some some really good seniors that that were kind of the the glue of this program for two years. Um, and they were really disappointing in the playoffs when they lost to Stratford. I, I, I still don't know how that game, how that ended up that way, but uh, did not play well in the playoffs. So he's going to have to, he's going to have to find some guys to replace. He had a, uh, from what I understand, a fairly good JB team, uh, but he's going to, you know, replacing Jaleel Porter is going to be a big deal. And Brandon Munson in the secondary and Zaquan Smith, the other running back. I mean, they got some holes to fill, but, Donnie Keeper's done that before, and um, and we'll see. You know, I mean, Donnie's a guy that has moved around a little bit, and with some of these job openings coming open, you may you may hear his name bounce around a few times. But um, I, I don't think at Oceanside because of the setup there and the money and things like that. I don't I don't think that's a possibility. But I think personally, there there may be a, an opening or two more after Christmas um, because as as other people take jobs, that creates openings. So. We'll have to wait and see how that all shakes out over the next six weeks or so. Hanging out with David Shelton. He is a Friday night guru. You can hear him on about every broadcast here in Charleston. Of course, you can also read about everything that he sees on so many different publications across the state as he does an incredible job covering our athletes uh, from, as he mentioned, from the fall all the way to the spring. So, He's got about a two-month down period of uh, relaxation. But, uh, you know, I know Fort Dorchester had a hell of a game Friday night. You were there. I was there. And I think everybody else in the low country was there. But would they be the, would they be the team that you would probably give the, the best team in the low country? It would be that other team. It's a newer school. But, boy, they sure went pretty far in their, in, in their early uh, lifespan, if you will, over there on the other side of the river. Yeah, I, think, I think Fort Dorchester was clearly the best team in, in, the, in the low country. Um, you know, Eric Bendig at Phillip Simmons did a tremendous job, and uh, they right. they had a lot of seniors. I know they're a four-year program, but they also had a lot of four-year guys, and uh, and they played two A region that allowed them to compete, and they won a lot of close games. So I, I think that the challenge for Phillip Simmons will be next year moving up to three A and having to replace so many seniors. I mean. 
they had a lot of seniors. Now, they had a couple of underclassmen that are pretty good players, but they had a lot of seniors. And moving up in classification, assuming they would be in the region with Hanahan, who's going to be pretty good next year again. Oceanside is going to be good just about every year. Uh, Bishop Inge is probably going to have a bounce back year, and, and they played each other this year and was a really close game. So uh, the, the challenge is for Philip Simmons to continue this run, and what helped is the season they just had. Um, you know, one one iota, one snippet from being in the lower state championship game, which they would have hosted, uh, but Barnwell had that big fourth quarter and, and took them down. But, but, I mean, I think Fort Dorchester and Goose Creek, or the two best teams in the area, then you, you would probably throw Oceanside and Phillips Simmons as the next two. I thought Kane Bay had a really good season. Uh, they won nine games. Um, unfortunately, they ran into Dutch Fork in the second round of the playoffs. And, uh, and, and just as the other previous 62 team, 61 teams did, they didn't come out on top. So uh, it, was, it wasn't a bad year in the low country, but, but I, thought the team that, I thought the teams went about as far as – as maybe I projected. I thought Oceanside could be a third-round team. I thought Phillip Simmons could be a second- and third-round team. And I thought Fort Dorchester, and you, like you said, you were there. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, a drop pass uh, here or there, and they dropped several. But if they catch one of them, they probably beat Dutch Fort. And, uh, and, and Tom Knox told me after the game, he said, I tell you what, he goes, Fort Dorchester is as physical as physical can be. And he was very impressed with the defensive front at Fort Dorchester, um, and and I I don't think I think Gaffney will 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 make this a game on Saturday, but uh, they they don't have the defense that Fort Dorchester had, so I think that's what's going to score some points. But I also think Gaffney will score some points, so uh, it's looking like a good matchup of undefeated. But but Fort Dorchester, I tell you, I mean you were there. I mean a pass here or there that was dropped. Uh, they had one wide open in the end zone. The guy just dropped it, and if they catch that, they win that game. Right. Well, and, and a couple of others before that, they could have changed the momentum as well, David. And I agree with you. I think, and, and I think a lot of people see a lot of graduation happening over at Fort, but I see a lot of cats that are in that B team that, that have done an incredible job. I think they've been undefeated for three years in a row. That's pipeline that we talk about in other sports. That I think you're going to see Fort continue to get better. I think this is a team that. Unfortunately for others, I think they're going to kind of set the bar in 5A in the low country. And, you know, we'll see about, you know, some of these other teams that are going to be hanging around. But, uh, you know, I thought it was a hell of a game. And Brent, of course, the offensive coordinator, threw everything he could at him and catch a couple, make a couple. And we're talking about, you know, Curse of Pratt playing for a state championship. And that being said, let's look at state championships, uh, David, and uh, some great games, but a little different venue because. They're heading to Benedict. I'm hoping to may over there. I know you'll be there as well, but it starts Thursday with South Point versus Beaufort. Now, Beaufort, we played Beaufort when I was at Oceanside. was able to handle business, but Beaufort caught fire at the right time because they weren't supposed to beat this team, aren't supposed to beat Myrtle Beach, probably shouldn't beat South Point, but guess what? Thursday night, they're going to kick off the uh, championship weekend against South Point and, and a Coach Holloman, who's Coach of the Year in his region and doing extremely well. What do you think of this one? Well, I think Buford definitely has a shot. I mean, I think they do enough things. They're they're good enough on defense to keep them competitive. Now, I I do think South Point's a little more talented overall. Um, if I had to pick, I'd probably pick South Point in a close game. But but Buford is playing red hot football right now. They beat a really good South Florence team. They beat a really good Myrtle Beach team. They beat a really good West Florence team. Probably not the same teams that South Point beat. 
you know, with Greenwood and Greenville the last two weeks. I mean, South Point beat two top five teams in back-to-back weeks. But I think Buford's going to be good enough to give them a, a fit. And, you know, the Oceanside game, they threw two pick sixes, and they lost by two touchdowns. Maybe if they don't throw those picks, you know, that game, maybe they're still playing. But uh, And then the game they lost to May River was a really close game. Um, so they, they're not far from being undefeated, but uh, they got a tough challenge. Uh, South Point, I, I tell you what, those cats can fly around. They play great defense. Their quarterback is a big old guy. They can run the football. So it's going to be a tough challenge for Buford. Now that'll be Thursday night, kickoff at 7 p.m. Then Friday they do it early, and that'll be a very good Daniel team. It's like, oh, man, it's, it, Daniel has set a bar in their own way. But they've got Camden. And, and again, I, I don't know if I thought Camden was going to be here, David, in 3A football, but here they are playing for a state championship Friday at 2 o'clock over there at Benedict College. Uh, what do you think on this one? Do you think Daniel's going to be able to handle it, or do you think Cam has got a little bit more in the tank after taking down a, a very good dealer team? Well, I think Daniel's uh, going to win the game, but, but but the job that Brian Rimp has done at Camden this year, you know, not only did they lose like 99% of their offense to graduation, they lost a bunch of guys once the season starts. Um, their, their quarterback is, was a starting defensive end when the season started. Now he's a quarterback. So, but what they have done is that defense, as you can attest, uh, ask Dylan, that defense is really, really good. Their front four really get to the quarterback. Now the problem with Daniel is that they get rid of the ball so quick, uh, and they have so many receivers you got to cover. But they, Trip Pierman does a great job running that off. He gets rid of the ball quick, so he's hard to sack. He runs around pretty good back there if he has to. So, you know, Camden's got to find a way to score. Um, they, they, you know, 13 points. They beat Dylan 13-7. 13 points will not win this game on Friday. they got to get into the 20s to have a shot, and, and Daniel's defense is very underrated. So, you know, again, Daniel's defending state champ. They beat Camden last year in a, in a shootout. Um, I don't think this will be a shootout. We'll wait and see. Of course, that was the 2 o'clock game. And then later in the evening, we'll get to see who could be the best running back in the state is Casey Adams and Greg Collegiate. Saw him firsthand, and the kid is special in many ways. But they'll see Silver Bluff. Now, Gray has been hot. They went in and beat uh, an Abbeville team that uh, everybody couldn't wait to see. But, boy, it happened and knocked all those conversations out of the window. So, at 7 o'clock, who do you like, Gray? You got Silver Bluff. Who do you got winning this one? I think Gray. I think Gray will win the game, but uh, if Silver Bluff can run the football uh, and keep Gray's offense off the field, they got a shot. And they do run the football very well. Uh, Trayvon Dunbar is a sophomore running back that's really talented. Uh, but uh, you mentioned Casey Adams. He's my Mister Football. Uh, Three thousand yards rushing, over forty touchdowns. They can throw it to him. He can return kicks and punts. I mean, the guy's going to get thirty touches, and he averages over ten yards a touch. So, uh, but if they can contain him, which nobody's been able to do, so I don't know why you think Silverbluff could, uh, then Silverbluff's got a shot. But I really think Gray is a team on a mission. They're a team of destiny. Beating Abbeville, which I didn't think they would do. Uh, they beat Abbeville. Then they, they beat Newberry that was playing with a ton of emotion last week with uh, Phil Strickland in his last game. Um, and they, they had to fight to win that game. But they played Gaffney this year. They played Oceanside. I mean, they played anybody and everybody that wanted to play. 
And uh, so this game will not be too big for them. They they will be ready to play, and I, I think they're going to win the game. All right, so let's go to the other one. Bamberg, and, well, they've got their matchup in this one here. Now, tell me a little bit about, and, again, the team they're playing against, I'm not quite as up-to-date on them, David. Tell me about this noon kickoff on Saturday where Bamberg is going to be uh, hopefully continuing what they've been able to do by knocking out C.E. Murray and the Coach Smitty team I thought was really, really good, but they live to see uh, a championship Saturday. Yeah, they got a, they got their hands full with the defending state champ. Southside Christian is undefeated, uh, have beaten everybody pretty easily. I think I read today, I think I was looking, I think they've given up 61 points in 13 games. Uh, that's a really good defense. I mean, I mean, you don't have to be a, a football expert to figure that out. Uh, Bamberg's got a good defense, too. But uh, they're playing without their starting quarterback. Uh, they, they're predominantly all run now. I think that's going to be a problem against Southside, just running the football. If they can't be balanced and, and have a passing threat, uh, I think they're going to be in trouble. And, and Southside does have a passing threat. Corey Martin, at quarterback, is, he swings it around the field and can run. So I, I I think Bamberg, if they can, you know, they run the football about 300 yards a game. They're going to have to do that and keep Southside Christian on the sidelines, their offense. If they don't, if they have to punt four or five times, they're going to lose this game. And I, I think Southside Christian is going to be the, the two-time state champ when it's all said and done. David, quickly before we go to this last one, Southside Christian, these guys – to me, last year kind of came out of nowhere, maybe not, but definitely hit that radar, and, and they're showing that it wasn't a fluke because here they are back at it again, scoring just as many points, if not more, this year. What, what's going on, and what has this team at this high school able to dominate as much as they are? Well, I mean, they were good. Uh, before last year, they were in 2A, and, and they, you know, they made the upper state finals one year. They won 11 games the year before that. I mean, they've been very good for the last uh, five or six years. Um, but they moved down. They got reclassified in the last realignment to Class A, and they've been dominant. I mean, they they really are like a 2A team playing in single A. So, But they, they have great defense. They have a great defense. Every year their defense is really good. Uh, I don't know who the coordinator is, but he deserves a raise. And then on offense, you know, they got the quarterback. I mean, the guy last year as a sophomore just lit Lakeview up in the state championship game, and everybody got DeCorey Martin on his radar, and he's just come right back this year. Really good basketball player, too, but he's come right back this year, put up big numbers. Um, a lot of games he didn't even have to play the fourth quarter because they were so dominant. And, and remember now, they're a 1A team, and they beat Greer uh, during the season. Greer's a pretty good 3A program. Uh, and they beat them, so th- that's no fluke. They, these guys have been good for a while, and uh, and b- just moving down to Class A just really uh, accelerated the, the success. Here with David Shelton, of course, he writes for the Post and Courier, covers Charleston Southern and about every other publication that's uh, top-notch across the state of South Carolina, and not to mention joins us here tonight on Southern Sports Central and a ton of other great broadcasts throughout the state. The final game, we're on overtime now, David, uh, is uh, 5 o'clock, Gaffney, Dutch Sport. Number one, can the traffic, can they handle the traffic in this game? That's my first question. And then the second one, you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, Gaffney may play this game a little bit closer than they're getting credit because, hey, look, Gaffney's getting to go in here going, well, they're not expecting us to win anyway. So let's just go in here and shock the state. Yeah, and, and that's what they got. They got to use that. They got to use that mentality of uh, nobody gives us a chance. But I can tell you there'll be about – 
eight to 10,000 Gaffney fans there that will give them a chance and give them a lot of support. And uh, going back to your first question, no, they can't handle that traffic, and I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, the fact that it is a Saturday, maybe that eases up. The, the Class A game will be done and emptied. Um, you know, so if, if they I, – I thought they should play the game like it six or seven. I think playing at five is really cutting it close. Uh, like I said, you know, last week they played Spartanburg at Spartanburg in the Upper State Championship, and the place was three rows deep, standing room only, way before kickoff, like an hour before kickoff. Gaffney's wow. visiting side was slammed packed. They're going to bring – I mean, when they played – the last time they played in the state championship at Williams-Brice in 2012 – the whole lower bowl on their side was packed. I mean, I mean, they're going to bring eight to ten thousand people. Benedict only holds about twelve. So if Dutch Fork, you know, now they normally they don't they don't have huge crowds, but you know, if if a lot of people that want to see this game show up, one, they may not get in if they don't already have a ticket, and two, it's going to be wall to wall and getting in, and then getting out. If you're at the game, my advice. The game is going to be at 5 o'clock. The game's going to be over by about 7 o'clock, 7.15. Just sit in the stands till like 10 o'clock, and then go to your car and you'll get out because that traffic leaving Benedict, there's, there's no easy way out of that place, and that is going to be a nightmare. Oh, my gosh, yeah, and no doubt there. And, again, you know, we may ride up and, and check it out. I'd like to see that matchup. Now, my other question, the trivia question is, how many Little Johns are on this uh, roster at, uh, at Gaffney? Because that is the uh, Little John U, right? Oh, my God. There are, I looked at the roster today, and, and uh, not for that reason. I was looking up a player's height and weight, an underclassman. And, you know, you're scanning the – I would say off the top of my head there's six of them, maybe five, <laughs> six, seven, somewhere in there. There's a lot of Little Johns. Right. And uh, Tom not alluded to that factor of, Early, or, uh, the, earlier this week, he's like, man, if they just send me a little John or two, they don't need all them little Johns. Just give me one or two of them. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, well, you know, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, Tom, nobody's feeling sorry for you, Bo. <laughs> so, you know, you got plenty of players. Uh, they, You know, you don't need yeah. any more little Johns. But, but uh, they do have, this roster does have several, and it's a, it's a well-known Gaffney football name. I mean, when you look at all their great teams, they've always had – a little John or two. Uh, the most, the one that brings to my mind was uh, the quarterback. I think his name was Brad. Um, what was it? Was it Bradshaw Little John or something like that? I can't remember. It sounds um, familiar. Yeah, I think so. And, and I know they have a they have a guy on this team named Bray Sean Little John. I'm just guessing he's related. Uh, of course, they all may be yeah. related, but they're they're they got some Little Johns and they're all playing like. Like, they all get on the field. They're not just on the roster. So, uh, if the Little Johns can come through, you know, they got a shot to beat Dutch Fork, but they're going to have to play very well. But if you ever had a bar up in Gaffney and they say, what coaching staff has a Little John? It's Coach Holloman up there at South Point. He's found a Little John and put him on his roster, too. So, he's a coach, not a player. But, nevertheless, he's got a Little John on his staff. So, I thought that was pretty interesting when I saw that earlier in the season. Uh, so, David, the other final thing, and first of all, man, thank you again for coming on tonight. We're going to do this once a week. We'll be actually in Myrtle Beach uh, some next week for this big game coming up up there with the uh, Touchdown Energy Bowl. 
Uh, I would imagine you're making the trip at least one, if not two, three, four days. Uh, what, what are your plans uh, heading into this game? To the north-south game? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I'll definitely be at the game uh, on Saturday, and, and usually I go up one day and uh, do some interviews with some, some of the Charleston area kids, but kind of just depends on what else I got going on. You know, high school basketball has started. Uh, I'll be be covering college basketball tomorrow night and high school basketball Friday night. So uh, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a good game. I think they do now. Some of the some some good players have have opted out for injury and stuff like that. So, but the North South roster is loaded with talent. With with uh, and then the other game, the Carolina Bowl, is the next day. Uh, Steve LaPrade is the head coach of the South Carolina team. They've got some really good players. So should be an interesting right. weekend of all-star football. And what will be interesting is what happens in the future. Right. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that the, the Carolina Bowl, and, of course, Todd Helms has done a great job of putting this thing together and bringing a North Carolina versus South Carolina, and we always enjoy that conversation on any sports world that we get into, David. But there's a lot of guys on that roster as well. The, 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 again, with Coach Pratt being the first coach in this bowl game, this seat could be set up to be uh, what we would usually see with uh, the Shrine Bowl. Do you see the Shrine Bowl maybe finding its uh, final days behind them now? I, I think it's going to be very difficult because I, I really believe if this Carolina Bowl goes well, uh, I think Todd Helms will keep it going. And then there's going to be a lot of competition for players. Uh, you know, the Shrine Bowl may have seen its time. I mean, they, they, you know, financial issues or personnel issues, it takes a lot to run an all-star game. And, uh, and maybe they, maybe they've just, uh, you know, they really screwed up in my opinion. And I think we talked about this, uh, by canceling the game so early, but I don't think they canceled it for COVID after delving into some situations and talking to some people, I think they, they manpower and finances. I, I think they just, we're struggling in that area. Um, so I don't know if they're going to come back. You know, kind of like Sertoma here in Charleston, everybody said, well, they're not going to have it this year, but they'll be back. They're never coming back. Uh, it's not going to happen. The round ball classic, but pre-COVID, they, they bailed on it because they didn't have the people to help run it. Well, that's coming back, but it's coming back under a different group of people, not the North Charleston Rotary. So uh, I, I don't know if the Shrine Bowl will – I don't know if the Shrine Bowl will ever play again. Um but if they do, if they if they really get after it and decide they want to do it and Todd wants to do his game and the North-South wants to do their game, there's going to be some competition mm. for players, no no question. And don't forget, you got, of course, Ken Brown over there with the Blitz. They're still blitzing their thing out there with the Junior Bowl. they got their Senior Bowl. Of course, uh, that's at the January 1 date. But the Junior Bowl, of course, connected to Scott Early and, of course, that group over there at Touchdown Energy Bowl. So, Man, a lot of football still left. I know you're getting ready to hit the mat. Of course, wrestling's kicking up in the low country. I'm sure Somerville is a heavy favorite. Basketball is kicking up. Watch Fort Dorchester, man. I'm telling you, that guy's loaded. I know Oceanside's got some ballers, too. But, uh, David, appreciate you, buddy. I'm sure we'll see you at the field soon. And, as always, man, appreciate what you do for our athletes, buddy. Okay, man. Y'all take care. Always a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen. David Shelton is the best in the business when it comes to high school football we went to overtime with him, so we got to make a quick transition from hour two to hour three. Try to see if I get Eugene in here because we've heard a lot. We need to talk a little bit. Maybe we're still waiting to see if we get Todd Helms in here because I want to talk about this Carolina Bowl. I think it's going to be a great situation for the North Carolina versus South Carolina. I think that's a bowl game that needs to happen, kind of like South Carolina and Clemson needs to play each other. I think South Carolina 
and, and North Carolina needs to play each other in college. I think Georgia and Clemson needs to play. There are just certain games that need to continue to happen, and I appreciate what the Carolina Bowl is doing to make sure that that's taking place. So let's take a quick break. We'll see if we can get Todd Helms with us. He, of course, is uh, the big man with the plan in the Carolina Bowl. All that coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Southern Sports Central, your source for all things sports, with your host, Richie Altman, Richie Altman. and Eugene Benton taking your call at 323-784-9681. Now, let's join Richie in the studio. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richie Alvin. Of course, we may be joined here in just a second with Eugene Benton. Of course, he's the other half of the network here on the Southern Sports Central Radio Network. And this is the flagship show of the network, Southern Sports Central. Don't forget, Friday morning, Brandon Biscoping is going to be doing it big right here from 7 to 10 on Friday morning. Check him out as he always brings it to you from the Grand Strand. And with that, let's see if Eugene's hanging out with us or not. Eugene, you with us, buddy? Yeah, man, I am uh, in and out, but yes, I'm here right now. There you go. So we I got him for now. We uh, heard <laughs> David the whole time. I was listening to David uh, break it down from the high school, you know, the state championships to you know the low country and some of the college. Uh, excuse me, the high school coaching changes and uh, you know it's uh Dave's always uh, you know he's never lacking the knowledge. Dude always has all the inside sources. You know. We we try to piggyback him and try to share some things, but man, does he not have his ear to the grind twenty four seven? Man, does he ever? And he has it on the football field and the restaurant community and about every other community as well. As uh, David Shelton joined us for some uh, four quarter football, got some free OT at him as well. So it's always good to get David in here, uh, and we'll get him back with us next week uh, as we're going to try to get back in here and uh, continue to try to push through. Uh, this is a final. This is an upset, I would believe. Uh, Coastal Carolina beat the Gamecocks 80-56 to and an ugly, an ugly loss for the Gamecocks. And, uh, boy, Eugene, you know, you and I got our connection to the, uh, to the Gamecocks. But, boy, Coastal, a 24-point road loss for the, game, <laughs> for the Gamecocks is huge at home. Um, that's, that's bad. Actually, I believe it was a road loss. I believe uh, they went actually, to Coastal yeah, and took that L. The game was played in Coastal, and 
you know, following the Twitter feeds, it was never really close. I mean, Coastal just kind of dominated the whole time. What do you think it is? I mean, Frank Martin, I like Frank the Tank. I mean, I think that he's he definitely came in and he's he's done some big things, but is he just too mean? Is he just too aggressive? Is he just not the style coach that these kids want to play for? I don't understand it because, you know, we've seen some good days out of it, Frank, but it just seems like these kind of losses are – these are the things that keeps us from getting to the next level. If you're a Gamecock fan, and I am, I don't hide it. You know, every I'm in, I'm a sports guy for a reason. I have my own teams, but man, that's a tough loss to a coastal team that will use that as an opportunity to recruit now. Well, no disrespect to any players in the roster or to Frank, because Frank's one of my favorite coaches at any sport. Uh, I think it comes down right. to recruiting. You know, when South Carolina made the Final Four, there was a guy on staff who's now at a, a Power Five school in the Big Twelve and Mike Boynton, uh, who played for the Gamecocks, you know, he's a, he was he's known nationally as a superstar recruiter. Um, recently, you had a four-star, five-star kid right there at Blythewood who just opted out of state. Now, if you look at and it's not just South Carolina. You look at Clemson and whatnot. Um, you know, about, I think it was, what, three years ago, the number one and number two draft picks in the NBA draft. Both were South Carolina kids um, with, with a young man who, who played private school there in Spartanburg and then also with uh, John Morant. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, it, it's one of those ugly games that, that as, as a high school coach, you and I have talked about a hundred times, you know, when it comes down to the AAU stuff, you, you kind of feel almost dirty doing it. But mm-hmm. in the end of the day, when it comes down to it, that's what's running basketball right now. And for the high school coaches, I mean, for the college coaches, it's almost like if you don't play the game, you're not going to be highly successful. And guys, unless you're guys like Coach K at Duke, you know, um, and, and, or if you don't have the brands of like the Duke, the North Carolina, the Michigan State, uh, UConn, Kentucky, um, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's tough because you have to sign those diamonds in the rough. You know, those. if you're looking at it from a football perspective, you're trying to find those three-star guys that are just undervalued that maybe were slept on. And, and that's when, when South Carolina made the run to the Final Four. They had a four-star guy who was from um, the Irmo area. His father, Dozier, played for South Carolina. But, you know, one of the best players came from Lancaster, South Carolina, and was a two-star. And he's had some stints in the NBA – and, and has been super successful, but, you know, it was kind of those, you know, it wasn't a, a five-star team. When they beat Duke that year to make it to the Final Four and Baylor, they were playing against those four- and five-star guys, and they won. But, you know, year in, year out, basketball, um, you know, the elite programs, the ones that you see year in, year out in the, in the Elite Eight, Final Four, are the schools that can sign the one-and-dones. The guys that are just coming out of high school – we're going to play college ball for two semesters or a semester and a half. You know, we're going to ball out and then go to the NBA. Um, I don't, you know, South Carolina is not there. And I think they, you know, to be there or to be successful, they have to recruit at least the four stars and get them to stay for a year or two. Um, to do that, right. you know, it, it's no different than Alabama. When you're a five-star recruit, you say, well, man, I can go sign with Alabama. You know, I, you know, maybe if I had a red shirt, maybe I don't. Maybe I play special teams first year. But in three years, I'm going to the league. It's just, with college basketball, 
they're looking at, well, in one or two years, can I go to the league? And I think, you know, they look at the programs. They look at Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, schools like that. And they're like, well, one or two years and I go to the league. You look at South Carolina and they're like, well, maybe, you know, I have to stay three, four years, might have a chance, might win, might not. You know, the SEC, you also have Bruce Pearl doing his thing now down at uh, Auburn. You know, Tennessee's been very good in basketball. Vanderbilt has a history of developing players, you know, putting guys in the league. I mean, you know, Tennessee and Vanderbilt, let's just look at those two. They've signed kids out of Porter Gout here in Charleston and put them straight in the league. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing right now is when Mike Boynton took the job at Oklahoma State, you saw the recruiting drop off. And when you have guys in Columbia – right down the street, and apparently Frank Martin did everything that he could do. They go to high school games, they recruit these players, they try, 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 and they leave and go out of state. I mean, Gray Collegiate, also in Columbia, has had four-star players, five-star players that signed with Alabama, that signed with Tennessee, you know, signed with Florida State, all these other schools. You know, it, you got to lock down, you know, just like football, you got to lock down your state first you got to be able to get right. the top guys in the state and then cherry pick. And I think that's been the biggest challenge is since Mike Boynton left, you know, South Carolina's not signing the four stars and things like that. And, you know, maybe Frank's not willing to play that AAU game. Maybe he's not. I don't know. But I think that's going to be – that's the biggest thing. And some people say football said it the same way. Um, but if you look at the successful programs in basketball – they play the Adidas, they play the Nike game, and maybe, again, maybe that's another thing hurts South Carolina being Under Armour, is it's not a basketball shoe. Um, with these right. AAU kids, you know, we've seen it from Kansas, these Adidas schools and the, and the Nike schools, the kids lead these AAU programs sponsored by Adidas and Nike, and they sign with Adidas and Nike schools. And I think that might also be something that, Maybe South Carolina needs to look at it. I know they have the second largest or second highest contract when it comes to apparel through Under Armour. I think it's only second behind Notre Dame, um, which Notre Dame's had a, a history of basketball. But since signing with Under Armour, their basketball program's dropped off. I'm not throwing shade at, at Under Armour, but possibly I just think that's something that should be considered. Yeah, I agree with you. Here's the thing. I want to go backwards to what you said. I hope and pray to God. This this high school football does not go the way the high school basketball is because I will agree with you that that AAU has a lot more power. It feels has a lot more power than a lot of high school coaches. Not all high school coaches, but a lot of high school coaches. Right? I hope and pray, and I know that seven hundred seven in Florida and in other states are really really big, and I think that they do a lot of things in this state. And I'm not going to get into the whole this that and the other. I just hope that that doesn't become a thing. It already worries me in baseball. Right, baseball is very similar. Baseball, they go to these, they go to the Canes, and, and they cherry pick their guys, and they pick their guys. I just hate to see it. Just like I hate to see some of these travel leagues. As much as I love Skyfa, and it's a great league, and it had to be created because at the local level things weren't getting done for the youth. So these guys came in and created something that's connected to the high school, and I respect it because they are a pipeline for our high schools. That's where they're supposed to play. Hopefully, Jay Williams join us here for a few minutes around 9.30. That being said, I just don't want to see – I just don't want to see it go away to where high school coaches in football, for sure, don't have a say on where they're going and what they're doing. 
because, again, I, I go different ways with 707, Eugene. You and I talk this out off the air more than anything. Is I'm not a 707 guy. To me, I understand it has the potential to do great things. I just see it on the other end where you see a lot of bad habits. You see a lot of different modes. And sw- it, 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 sometimes it's more frustration than anything for me. You take the pads off these guys, and they're five-star dudes all over the field. You put them on pads, you put them on fields, and it's a whole different conversation. We've seen it sure. firsthand. We've seen it everywhere. And that's my concern overall. And you and I discussed that whole seven-on-seven thing a lot and how, you know, we talk to high school coaches, and that's one of the big things that they're pushing for the straight-line recruiting because they feel like, right. you know, well, I coach these guys, you know, 12 months a year. They're in my weightlifting program. I'm worried about their academics. I'm worried about, you know, are they meeting their core classes? Are they in the weight? I'm worried about their, you know, their behavior on and off the field, practice, spring practice, summer conditioning, you know, getting them to college visits, uh, camps, you know, and then some, you know, a lot of high schools have their own seven on sevens during the summer, which are sanctioned by the high school league, you know, and then of course their games and game films, you know, a lot of them feel like, because right now I think there's a 200 and something programs. And I think uh, the last, message us on Twitter with something like 98 schools have signed up for the straight line recruiting and about 102 haven't. Um, and that's one of the things I think that's driving behind it because, you know, they spend all this time developing kids and we've seen it where, especially the skill positions, they'll get with a, you know, one of these travel seven on seven teams. And then all of a sudden they find, you know, some reason to transfer to a different school because maybe that coach is a, wide receiver coach or an offensive coordinator or head coach of another team because during the, uh, you know, the seven-on-seven, you know, it's kind of like an albeit or or a pseudo AAU team, you know, they they promised them recruiting things and recruiting visits. Yeah. But let's face it, though, if you look at it playing devil's advocate against the high school coaches, you know, the colleges right now, and, and I'll even say it, South Carolina, they host these seven-on-seven tournaments, and it's a big deal. I mean, South Carolina this year, you know, with Oceanside, they played in the seven-on-seven tournament and finished, I think, second or third. And it's, you know, a chance to go and play, uh, you know, in the indoor facility. You know, and a lot of kids have had great success where, you know, they've gone with their seven-on-seven team and played at these big-time schools and gotten big-time offers and – you know, Coach Smitty is a good friend of ours, and there's a guy playing for South Carolina right now, Darius Rush. His 7 right. 17 traveled the country, and he picked up offers from South Carolina all the way to Michigan. He ended up signing with South Carolina right. and had one of the biggest plays all year for South Carolina with that sack of the quarterback, you know, playing defense. But, you know, so, so it's one of those evolving situations, and I think a lot right. of the old guards and, and some of the high school coaches are trying to say no. We don't like it because we feel like it's a street agent, you know, meat market kind of thing. And on the other side, you know, the colleges are saying, we just want the best guys. And right. at the end of the day, it's a trickle-down thing. You know, with the NFL, they want the best guys from college. The college want the best guys right. that they can get because you know, as a head coach, you know, you might – only four teams get to play in that college national championship, you know, the playoffs and national championship. But one of the things that – Every college boasts. If you look in April, come draft time for the NFL, every college in America that has a kid drafted or young, I should say, a young man drafted, they post it sure. out. We had three picks. 
We had so many first-round picks. And so to get that, they're going to search out the best athletes. And I don't think it's going to be – and it's growing more towards, you know, those metrics similar to baseball. We just want the metrics. You know, give me a six-five guy. Give me a give me a receiver that runs a four-three-four. Four. And yep. it, it, it well, they, they want that paper drill. Entertainment they want the paper industry. Drill. They want the dynamic industry. Right. So if you can find, you know, the Jim Rat kid who runs a four-seven, who always comes to practice, who's always in the weight room, who has a four-point-zero GPA, if you're a college coach. Or if you can sign that kid that might be a three oh student, but he runs a four two five and he's six feet and he can jump out the gym, who do you think they're gonna offer that scholarship to? I mean, and that's just the reality of the world we're in. You know, it's no different right. than if you were in selling real estate. The guy might be, you know, you know, on your team selling real estate and he may not be the best guy in the office and might be kind of what you would consult you know, consider a jerk. But if his output is he sells five houses a week, you're going to keep him on staff. Oh, yeah. Produce. You want a guy that produces. And, 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 again, so there is, there's two different lingos. The one, you're talking about, like, the, the high school 707s where they go to Columbia and they go to other universities around the country and they play with their high schools. But then there's that other 707, right, the one that we see locally here that, again, I don't want to pinpoint any one individual – but my only thing is this, and, and it's a hard thing to do because of egos become obstacles, right? Egos become obstacles, and that's true in your life. That's true in everyday environment. I mean, you heard Coach Scott Early, who's the director of the Touchdown Energy Bowl and also the head football coach at Westside, said he would like everybody to get a trophy, but not everybody does. I still, I'm thinking, and I didn't say it, but not everybody gets one in life either. You don't get one at your job every day. You're not going to get there. You're not going to win every day. You know, I don't believe in winning and losing. I believe winning and learning. I think we learn more in a loss than you do in a win. Some of my best bus rides home or, or plane rides home in college or whatever it was in a loss is the conversations that were had or some that just weren't had, that you thought in your mind of where you were and what you were doing. But when you look at it overall, and, 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 I, and I'll tell you this, Mal Lawyer does a really good job of putting kids in his, in his wingspan. And then he goes get Coach Sterling and a bunch of other really great coaches. I mean, he does surround himself with some really great, some really great coaches that probably could be some pretty solid high school coaches. But because there's a rule in high school that doesn't allow high school coaches to coach their kids, these guys are actually able to do things that other coaches can't. All I've ever said, and I've told this to Mal, I've said to Coach Sterling and a few other great coaches that I've talked to that do 707, I don't care what you got to do to bury a hatchet with a high school coaching but do what you got to do because our job overall is to see our kids in this state go out and be great individual and grown men, whether it be in football or, or whatever it is after they leave to, they're prepared to be successful. A lot of these guys, it seems like they butt heads with high school coaches and you and I both know that and we can sit here and name 20 coaches right off the rip. But my thing is this, these guys can coach when these guys can't until those rules change, we got to find a way to marry this relationship and make this thing work. And I was going to last year help out a little bit with some stuff, but, you know, so, some things didn't happen and um, conflict of scheduling didn't work out. But I would love to see these ballers keep balling, keep working out, keep doing what they're doing. I'm not rushing the taunting and all that stuff that you see on 707 and the mossing and all that stuff. That's great, and that looks good for the video. But you can't do it in high school football Friday night, preparing them for what they're ready to do, like what we do on Thursdays and Wednesdays and Tuesdays and Mondays to practice 
is a big thing. And, again, I get they're letting their hair down, and they're doing what they need to do, and it's a lot of fun. But I think it all starts with the grown men in this conversation, and that's the 707 coaches across this country and definitely here in our state and the high school coaches finding a way to find a happy medium so that we can say, okay, I'm going to send my guy to you. Here's what he needed to work on during the, off se- during the season. Can you work on this? Does that make sense? Completely makes sense. I mean, that's just, you know, and again, you know, and, and so many coaches are, are, you know, at the collegiate level are drafting or I should say signing kids based on potential. And, you know, the high school coach knows the potential. They see them year in, year out. They see them come in as a freshman, sometimes in eighth grade, you know, and, and they see them grow. You know, you see an offensive line come in in eighth grade and they're five foot ten, but then you get to see them all the way until their senior year where they're six foot four. You get to see them in the weight room. You get to see them develop mentally, physically, academically, and everything else. And, you know, some of the other coaches are just kind of there for, you know, the, the, the spring and summer. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, to play on the seven on seven team, as far as I know, you don't have to have certain grades. You don't, you, you don't have to be academically eligible, but you do in the high school level. So I think the high school coaches are under so much pressure, you know, not only to win and they got alumni issues and they got administration issues, but to keep these kids on a straight path, you know, as well as I know, being high school coaches and being on staff, you know, you got the, the social media things and, and, and watching what they do 24-7. It, it, it's such a big challenge, and I think that's why, you know, the coaches, like we had the coach on from York, um, who, who's running this straight line recruiting, and I respect that. I don't think it's going to take hold completely, and I, but I respect what he's doing because I understand the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into developing a kid and getting them ready to kind of fly the right. nest and be prepared to go to the next level. Because let's face it, it let's say like university, uh, let's just say Clemson. Clemson signs your dude, you know, and your dude's been great in high school and everything else, but then gets to Clemson and apparently peaked too soon and, and fizzled out and never played, they're going to look at you and be like, man, you told me this guy was a baller. You know, you've known him for four years. Whereas these, you know, you know, guys that coach the guy, or I say coach them, but, you know, has these teams for three or four months out of the year. Again, it comes back to almost like that basketball AAU thing where it's almost like a, a meat market and it's all about business. And I think you lose the relationship part. And I think that's what the high school coaches are trying to hold on to because there's a trust right. factor. You know, when you look at high school coach, I mean, college coaches, so many of them say, you know, there's so much relationships into who they offer. There might be a kid right. with better stats, and people look at, well, why didn't they offer so-and-so? Well, there was a relationship and a trust they had with the high school coach that led them to offer one guy over the next. And sometimes, you know, win or lose or, or live and die, some of these college coaches, you know, live on the high school coach's recommendation. And because they know that guy's been there for four years, and they trust that right. And they put their multi-million dollar salary and livelihood on what a high school coach tells them. And, you know, it's, it's scary. It is. And, you know, being that, you know, also I've had kids go through the process. 
and it you know it's it, it's scary. You're kind of mad sometimes that such such and such school offered a kid that you feel like is shorter, can't run as fast, can't kick as far, can't do as whatever. But then on you know I was talking to a college coach tonight, and I was like, well, you know my college my high school coach had on not being the stepdad. What do you think? And he gave me his opinion. I said, okay, well, I'm keeping that hat on, and all right, I trust that opinion. And, uh, you know, right. as a high school coach, I totally get where you come from, coach. And, you know, he'll continue to develop, and we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, thing we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking about developing players, Eugene. Great segue, because coming up next, we're going to stay in the low country. We're going to head over to Jay Williams. He was a big time and a family member. His seat is still sitting here at the studio and he's walked in. So he's going to join us. He is the commissioner of the South Carolina Youth Football Association. They just concluded their season, by the way, in state championship found. And, oh, by the way, it was won in a unanimous form by the entire low country from the 6th, the 8th, and the 12U. So 6U was the fort, 8U was Ashley Ridge, 10U was the fort, and 12U in a instant classic and big-time form was the fort. We're going to talk about it right after this with the big man, the commissioner himself of the South Carolina Youth Football Association. Jay Williams joins us next, guys. Don't go anywhere. on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and give us a call at 323-784-9681. Let's rejoin Richie and Eugene on Southern Sports Central. everybody back and in style we bring him in with that so cold introduction because he had a hell of a season in year number two the commissioner jay williams joins us now on southern sports central from the south carolina youth football association dr jay what's going on my friend what a hell of a show you put on at the wood on sunday my man great job uh definitely appreciate that richie man glad to hear your voice back on the radio brother knowing you're doing something <laughs> that you love to do um yeah, I definitely appreciate that. I got a chance to hang out with your brother, by the way, and he and I are going to be talking some stuff here soon about some opportunities for him because I thought he did a great job on uh, covering it, man. I mean, he did an amazing job up there. I know he's the voice of of, uh, of the wood on Friday nights, but I thought he represented everything in South Friday or Saturday, Sunday. Taught me how to use the clock. Don't tell anybody else, but they taught me how to work the clock. 
And they say if you you know if you don't want to learn, you don't want to do something, don't learn something. So now everybody knows that I can work a clock. So you know how that works. If nobody else can do it, Richie's here, he'll do it. So uh, it worked out good though because I got to watch uh, an incredible group. You and you and Rock have brought together uh, the upstate and the lower state. And uh, I'm proud of you, first of all, my friend, uh, on an overall level, because we started this conversation three hours ago with college football. Then we went to high school. And if the children are our future, it's only fitting to end with the youth. And I think the youth in the low country and across the great state of South Carolina, I think we're in pretty good shape in football on Friday nights and beyond. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, Sunday I saw some of the best young talent I think I've ever seen compete at the highest stage for a state championship. I mean, we don't have as many teams as this high school, but we have a 40-team league. So those guys were the that you saw playing were the best of the best out of 40 different teams throughout the state. They came right on down here to Woodland and competed and, I mean, put on a show. We had nothing but closed games. No game was a blowout. A few games came down to a wire. I know two – Three of the games ended with teams taking a knee. That tells you how close the game were. Um, right. So, and, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I believe we're in great shape. Saw so some great future talent, some guys that you'll see playing on Fridays, some guys that you'll definitely see playing on Saturdays if they keep it up. And, hell, I've even seen some that possibly be playing on Sundays. I agree with you, man. I tell you, and I told everybody, and I started tweeting it out, putting it out. I said, look, I'm here. I'm just here to hang out and – of course, Clinton from Voice Sports did a great job doing what he does at the lab. He and I have been talking all week and trying to work some things out going into next year. And we'll, we'll see. we got some things kind of behind the scenes working out. And, uh, of course, just being a part of it, being around it, you know, because we were very blessed last year to be a, a broadcast on the radio, giving you guys the game of the week. And, you know, that was a lot of fun, you know, being able to be around this young talent and these kids that are hungry. That's why I like Friday night football. It's a very similar atmosphere. And the parents, man, the parents are – very much involved into this stuff, and they should be. But I thought even Friday, or excuse me, Sunday, was a very well managed. Uh, I think the hardest part was kids not getting on the track. And again, that's because it's a brand new track. It's a state of the art track. And I know Kurt Cyber well. You know him better than I do. And 99 problems and walking on that track might be one if you walked on it. But um, I think that was the only thing that you guys had to struggle with is keeping kids off that track. And Again, you know, that's a pretty good deal. I, I thought you guys were able to accommodate the food. Uh, the atmosphere built itself. It was football weather. It felt like football from the time y'all kicked off around noon till we walked out of there with the dark and the clouds rolling in. And, uh, you know, uh, great opportunity for us to see the talent. So let's start at 6U. 6U had, you know, Fort Dorchester comes in here, did what they needed to do with the team from the upstate. Uh, tell us a little bit about that 6U matchup. Well, it's crazy. Uh, Fort Dorchester and Dutch Fort kicked it off Friday night uh, for the high school lower state championship. And uh, Dutch Fort edged that victory in a very close game. Me and you both were there. And you turn around Sunday and the Northeast Wolfpack, they're not necessarily Dutch Fort feeder, but a lot of their kids will end up going to Dutch Fort High School. Um, so then their 6U and Fort 6U kicks it off. Sunday for the Skypher State Championship. So that was like a storybook, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of feeling. And Fort Six was able to, you know, right that wrong. They they led the whole game, and um, it was very close. I believe that score was 16, 
to 12, I want to say, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me get the scores up so I can get the right information. But needless to say, Fort was in control of the game for a majority of the game. And then uh, you've seen Northeast Wolfpack kind of start to fight back there towards the end. And like I said, that was one of the games that I mentioned that ended in a knee. And with more time, who would say Fort holds on to that victory? Um, but they were able to, and they were able to come home with the win. Um, Malachi Pimento won Super Bowl MVP. He had an older brother that came through the Fort program last year. I was on the 12 view, uh, Hollywood Pimento. So it's obviously running mm-hmm. in the jeans over there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all right. That score was 20 to 14. So yeah, it was a very close competitive game. Came down to the wire. Then we go up to 8U. Now, this is a team, and I've been able to, to, to watch this team. Now, this is Ashley Ridge. Of course, Shane Fiddler is the head coach of their high school football team uh, who had some good success this year as well. But it's, it's strong in 8U over there. I mean, i got to give it to that whole staff over there. I thought they played an extremely uh, competitive season. I actually, this was my fourth game uh, or third game this year to watch, and did what they needed to do. They handled business. They had uh, a couple of things kind of going on, but they were able to penetrate and get behind the uh, get behind the ball when need be, as far as behind their pads, fall forward and get the first downs at the right time, and then kind of get that momentum. And you know, you saw that one got heated at some points, but then again, Ashley Ridge, that eight U program is kind of in a different element. Oh, totally agree. Uh, that is the most complete eight U team that I've been around and been able to witness. Um, I've seen teams that were more dominant. I think I had a an 8U team a few years ago that may have been more dominant than this team. Uh, I know the team I had, they didn't, they went score, uh, no one scored on them and everything like that. But we weren't as complete of a team as this. And when I say that, like, they can run it. Their quarterback can throw it. They have receivers that can catch it at the 8U level. They have a big offensive line that they can run behind and get those first downs when needed. Defensively, they're stout. They don't have any weaknesses. They tackle well. They're fast. They have big up front. They have corners that can cover, linebackers that can tackle, secondary that can cover. The safety of the quarterback who controls both the offense and the defense, he's out there making plays on both sides of the ball, very well coached. they're a very complete team, and it shows because they had the most lopsided victory of the day. They took home the victory 20-6, to six. Uh, but right. it's a very good team. And the team that they beat, the Upstate Panthers out of Spartanburg, not a slouch. It wasn't like it was a bad team. It, that was a very well-coached team as well. They were a little smaller than Ashley Ridge, but, um, yeah, it just showed Ashley Ridge's dominance in that game, uh, how complete they were. Yeah, then you go to the 10U game, and this is where, you know, it started getting a little darker in the afternoon, and kids had been there a little longer, right? So the atmosphere was a little different than it was at the beginning with 6 and then 8 and then 10U. Here comes Fort Dorchester back out there with their flags, and, you know, Nas is ready to roll once again, man. He's got that backpack and his wagon, and he's pulling that thing to victory. As they found another W after winning 6U, he goes ahead and puts an 8 or 10U team in victory. Yeah, that was the second of the third one for the day for them um, over there. They took on the Carolina Elite Panthers out of Lancaster uh, uh, with a score of 18-12 final. Uh, Those were another one of those games that came down to Fort taking the knee to walk off with the victory. And uh, the MVP of that game, and sorry, I didn't give the MVP of the AU game, which was Brandon Ray. 
from actually where um, Swamp Fox is the quarterback slash safety. Kid played a hell of a game. Tremendous effort out there. Um, Little Johnny Menzel looking was, like. He looked like Johnny Menzel <laughs> out there running around, man. This uh, kid's got some speed. He looks left, he turns right, and he goes down the sideline. But, yeah, that kid has got a, he's got the it factor if he keeps working out. He'll be playing on Friday night and probably Saturday and maybe Sunday. Yeah, he definitely has it. Um, when the game was getting close and they're fighting and jockeying for a position, because it, it ended up being lopsided, but it was a very close game for much of the day. Um, right. That it factor that you talked about took over for him. Uh, whenever they needed a big play, they put the ball in his hands. Like you said, he, he may have looked like Johnny Menzel at times. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it was rumored that he was out there changing plays and calling them himself when the game got on the line. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but that's what, I've, that's what I've been hearing through the grapevine. So, yeah, he really put on a show, <laughs> tremendous effort from the young man. I did not want to leave his accomplishment out um, there. Right. But going back to the tenue, uh, Fort took that win, and one of the most stunning performances I've seen ever mm-hmm. single-handedly by a kid to win that game for the Fort Dorchester U Patriots. Uh, their quarterback, uh, Trey Booby is his nickname, Lawrence. Man, the kid was Mr. Do-It-All. Uh Every first down they needed, he got. Um, anytime right. a big tackle was needed on defense, you saw him there. Um, kid towers over most of the rest of the, the talent that he's going up against. He reminds you a lot of, like, Cam Newton. Like, he looks like he could be Cam yeah. Newton's son, in a sense. <laughs> and, I mean, he just flat-out dominated the game from start to finish. Um, right. I know those young men on the Panthers probably just got tired of tackling him because he's just so big and strong and aggressive and coming at them downhill the entire game. Um, Heard he's a tremendous athlete on the baseball diamond as well, so he might be one of those dual sport athletes that may have to make a decision later down the line, but I mean, if he wants to continue with football, sky's the limit. He's one of those ones that you can see playing on a Sunday because his body is just going to build out for him to be able to physically do it. Right. And watching him, actually, you know, I did see Cam Newton, but I saw a little to carry on Joyner in this guy because the way that he would stutter step and find his way through, and he kind of put the sting in singers, you know what I mean? He would pop you. He would want you to please come in my lane so that I could run over you and not around you because I'm not about to do that. So, yeah, I agree with the way you break that down. Now, the game that we all – it was like you couldn't have put the popcorn on the table any better and brightened up the lights for a showdown and a nightcap. But that last game – it lived up to every bit of hype and a lot different outcome from the year before because these two teams saw each other last year. But, man, talking about playing to the whistle, that thing there, that game there, there, there was just amazing, amazing athletes all over the field. Now, that quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, number two, the guy that got the MVP, uh, is, it, is he the running back or the quarterback, the guy that got the MVP in, in the 12 years? Uh, Marquise, he's Fort's running back, uh, but they went to running a little back. wildcat type formation with him in the second half, and that's why he probably looked as if he was the quarterback for you. But um, right, yeah, that, man, that what kid's a dog! KB, fight. By what a... right now. I'm sorry. That kid is a JV quarterback. He's a JV player almost right now. That's how good he is, and, and I know he's a 12. You and everybody say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm just telling you. Uh, Coach LaPrade and, 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 and that staff has already got their eyes on him. I don't know that from a conversation. 
I'm just telling you, I know what they look for after spending the year over there last year. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. That kid there, we talk about the it factor. That's it right there. That's the type of kid. Humble, smiles, yes, sir, no, sir. Off the field, that's what you want. But on the field, oh, no. I'll show you manners at the end of the game because I'm about to put it down right here. And that's what he did all night long when they needed it. They fed that number two, and he did what he needed to do to get it in the six. Yes. Uh, everything you just said about Marquis is 100% correct. Humble young man. Uh, but on the field, he plays ruthless. Like, he, he, <laughs> he's violent out there. Like, he, when he's getting to you and you're about to tackle him, he's going to finish the run. Like, he's going to deliver the hit instead of taking it. But off the field, I mean, I probably I only heard him speak ten words before. Um, but tremendous kid, man, tremendous talent. He has that eight factor football IQ. If he was a Madden player, you'd probably give him a ninety nine rating for his I agree. Uh age and the level that he plays the game at. Um just tremendous kid, man. Uh the interception that he got to steal the the game, breaking off of his man and jumping that wheel route and picking the ball off. I mean, like you said, that's JV level. That's varsity level. You see kids right. at that level making plays like that, not at the 12U division. So, I mean, just tremendous. Um, man, yeah. like you said, it was a rematch of Super Bowl One this um, this time around. Fort took Super Bowl Two in a 14-12 victory. And it was a bond burner, man. Uh, it was times where Rockhill looked like they were just going to walk away with the game, especially from the start when they jumped on Fort from the start. You you thought in your mind, oh, not again, not the same thing as last year. Um, you know, that Rock right. Hill team didn't lose in two years. Like, most games um, out of that two-year span, I think they only had one score on them. Yeah. yeah. Only one team scored on them in two years, one touchdown. Um, so, it it was definitely a upset from the Fort Dorchester staff. Shout out to their head coach, Kai Patterson, for the game plan that he executed. Um just to hold those guys to 12 points was amazing. Like, um, right. they had six against the upstate Titans in the upper state championship game last year. But any other game besides that, those guys don't score less than 30. Like, it's, just, right. it's like a given. They got a 30 piece before they start the game over there at Rock Hill. So, man, it was great by four, great defensive effort, great offensive effort just to gut it out. I mean, they didn't do anything spectacular or hit them with trick plays. They lined up and gutted it out and played hard-nosed football to get them to win. So right. that brought well, the three of the four championships home. Oh, I agree. I, and I think Coach Kai did a great job. And all, all the coaches, to make it to that point, I, I hate to use this because I'm not everybody gets a trophy kind of guy, but I'm, I'm, I'm a realist here. So if you make it to the state championship, man, you did something today, and you should be proud of yourself. So I can tell you that, that all those coaches ought to be proud. And the commissioner, you, you know, you ought to be extremely proud. I know I can give my hat tip to you, to Vox Miller, to Franklin Alexander, uh, to all those uh, different individuals you have in position to do what they do on each of their local levels. Do a great job. But to me, I, I thought the defensive coordinator over there, I think it's a, that's Jimmy Peoples, right? That's the defensive coordinator in 12U over there, that, I believe, on the Forts team. I believe so, yes. I think it's between him and, I, and even – I think Nass helps out with this, the defense. No, well, those two dudes right there, that – the transition from halftime was massive because at the beginning of that game, I was like, uh-oh. So whatever adjustments they made, they better write that down. 
Because I tell you what, that to me, yes, there was some great offensive play calling. But you can have all the great offense you want. If you don't stop them on defense, you know, that's that's hard to do. But uh, overall, man, uh, I give you an A++, man, in another year. And uh, you and I will catch up some more. And I enjoy watching what Clinton's done in the lab with Boy Sports and, of course, the professor. Uh, I've enjoyed just kind of sitting back this year, Jay. It was a little different for me, man. I'm used to being down there and, 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 and having these guys on. But you never know what year three brings together. I know Clinton's got a, a lot of things. He's talking about helmet stickers and things. I think that's a great idea. And I just cannot say enough how much I appreciate our friendship. And just watching you bring a community together, yes, there's a lot of yelling and screaming from the fans. But when the game goes to zero, for the most part, <laughs> most of the time, Everybody kind of says, all right, cool, let's just go back to doing what we do and go back to being a family, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, tremendous job by Clint throughout the entire season. Um, he definitely filled the void that we had there. Glad to have you back as well. If it, you know, it was announced we are going to incorporate you in Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, someone decided to move the mic on us there, and I didn't know where it was at. Sorry about that, but, yeah, you were supposed to, you know, <laughs> co-broadcast that thing with my brother Lamar up there. But he said, year three, we'll fix that issue. We'll get it together. We'll find a way to incorporate you and Clint back both with the youth. I think you both will do a great job, and we'll go from there. No doubt, man. I know we're up against the clock. I wanted to personally get you in here. This is our first show back on the air. I'm going to be back every week. Uh, we're going to talk some basketball. We'll talk some more football. we got a lot happening, but I want to keep you involved in it. I know there's a lot of other conversations that you can get involved in with me as well, buddy, because you do a lot of things at Woodland, not just in the youth program, but you uh, do it on the upper side of the youth as well. But like I mentioned, we started in college, went to high school, and it's only fitting to finish with the youth program because that is our future, the foundation, and I want to make sure that we give you guys your well-deserved uh, tip of the cap here on the show tonight to finish our show, man. Oh, I definitely appreciate you having me on, brother, anytime. Um, I do expect to be back on shortly. Uh, possibly have a big announcement. We're going to leave it at that, but just <laughs> expect when I reach out that, hey, that, uh, doing that has come, and <laughs> we're going to get on there and make this announcement if, if it comes to that. You know I got your back, big guy, man, and we'll we'll do more of this conversation off here as well, man. But, again, I thank your family for allowing you to be away from them, to be at this thing. And uh, to be the commissioner ain't an easy thing, brother. You've had to make some pretty big calls this year, a little bigger than last year, but you made the right ones, even though it might not have been a favorable ones at times. But look at what you did, my friend. And, again, as we uh, we say so long, farewell tonight, you and I will do this again, and I'll catch up with you off the air, Big J. I appreciate you, buddy. All right, bro. Always a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen. The show has come to an end. Three hours. Everybody says, how in the heck, Rich, do you talk for three hours? Well, you get some of your closest buddies on, and you sit around the cooler, and you have a conversation. I literally texted Jay five minutes before he called the show. Five minutes. And without a doubt, because he's the man he is, because he loves on these young kids the way he does, he said, I'll be right there. Give me a sec. And here he goes. And I want to congratulate Skyfa because I knew a little bit about Friday Night Tights, which is a Texas thing. And I watched it over the summertime and when I was in, in Charlotte, and I learned a lot. And I sat back and thought to myself, holy crap, we do better than they do. It. And that's a fact. Now, you're going to ruffle feathers because iron sharpens iron. And there was a lot of sparkstone. But we got better today than we did yesterday. 
and I cannot tell you how proud I am. Now, again, uh, Coach Miller up there in the upstate, I know it was a long ride back to the upstate, buddy, and I know you didn't hand out as many bucks as you like to hand out, but, boy, it sure is bittersweet to win some state championships down in the low country. And for all of us at Southern Sports Central, that's a hell of a job. I, I know Jay, of course, is uh, the commissioner, but he is rooted here in the low country. So that was a great way to end the season, having four for four. All right, we're not talking about Wendy's either. We're talking about Skyfoot. We were handing out state championship trophies on Friday, on Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. But, again, I want to thank everybody involved uh, on our show tonight, and we will start uh, with our last guy, who was the commissioner of the South Carolina Youth Football Association, Jay Wynn. Uh, thank you for all that you do in and outside the community and all the hours that you put in that nobody sees, my friend. We greatly appreciate it. Then, of course, we had David Shelton. He is a guru of Friday Night Football. He does it on the air. He does it everywhere. He does it on your, of course, uh, newspapers here in Charleston, but he's also part of many broadcasts across the state and many news articles around the area. Also, Scott Early, West Side High School Football Coach, Director of Touchdown Energy Bowl. That will be played December 11th at 1230. Don't miss it. It will be a show you want to watch, and that is December 11th over at, of course, uh, Dugshaw Memorial. Uh, and then, of course, we had Reginald Walker, Jr. started it all off. He is our guru of college football. He played at Penn State, but he is part of the Southern Sport Central family, guys. It has been a great show. We'll be back on Wednesday next week. Let's do it. All right, until next time, make sure you check out our guy on Friday morning, 7 to 10. That is Brandon Bisco Bing, as he will be live from Myrtle Beach right here on Southern Sport Central. Guys, have a great night. See you then. Your butt. Kids are screaming, the media says what? Kind of music is this for you? The dance to the man with the plan and the band demands you. Leave the smack and the crack for the whack for the ball and the knock. Keep a smile like that. Leave the knife and the gun in the store and ignore temptation. Set by the nation. Racial game causes pain. He's a new rep. In your heart and mind, never forget to set. Hawkins, and when you walk in, you know what you're the one. Black on black, remember that it's important. Anyway, the shunless one bring forth the fun. No hatred. The summer's almost done. No time for sleep. Jump in your deep and pump up the funky beat. A holy fever goes off. Yo, smash it, then trash it. You're too young to be plumped in a casket. Just get your boys and bring the noise and just swing it. And party people, swing it.